Attention Talking Simpsons listeners, would you love to hear us give the same treatment to Futurama? Who would do a thing like that? Who could do a thing like that? Then you'll be delighted to know we're doing just that for Futurama's entire first season. Hey, when you look this good, you don't have to know anything. And it'll only be available for people who donate at the $5 level to the Talking Simpsons Patreon. Oh, God, no! And along with 13 episodes of Talking Futurama, you'll get all 23 episodes of Talking Critic, the entire first season of Talking Simpsons, monthly community podcasts, interviews with Simpsons writers, and so much more! Shut up and take my money! Remember, go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons to get your hands on podcasts from the world of tomorrow! I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody, welcome to Talking Simpsons where we face up to the unface up toable. I'm your host, Omnidirectional Sludge Pup Bob Mackey, and this is a chronological exploration of the Simpsons. Who else is here with me today? Henry Gilbert, and are you getting a lot of bugs in your mouth too? Always. And who else? Esteemed representative of television, Cat Bailey. Oh, we're in trouble now, we're a podcast. Today's episode is Sideshow Bob's Last Gleaming. You still got it, Bob. <laughs> And he does. Today's you epi- still got it, Bob. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Today's episode aired on November 26, 1995, and Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, boy, Bobby. Will Ferrell, Cheryl O'Terry, and Daryl Hammond join the cast of SNL. Toy Story is at the first of its 18 weeks at the top of the box office, and Sammy Hagar gets his wish as Bill Clinton signs a law that ends the 55 mile per hour speed limit on highway. We actually talked about this in school. Oh my god. What, What, the the highway thing? Yeah, I mean, it was in the current events. But more importantly, is this my chance to actually talk about Toy Story? Because I saw that in theaters. I saw it in theaters twice. And that totally blew my mind. Yes. When it came out, oh my well, god! This, this episode has a Toy Story connection that it should be super obvious. We'll get to it, but um, I love Toy Story one. I felt mm-hmm. some some degree of shame by being really into it at age thirteen. Like, should I still <laughs> really? should I still like these things? Yes, I guess I was I made was... to feel shame about everything. Cat, I went to Catholic oh, I'm school. So sorry, Bob. Oh. Yes, <laughs> no, I, I I felt I guess a certain t- trepidation about it, but once I saw it, just let the magic flow. I think I was maybe just a little concerned that this would replace 2D animation from And you were on. right. And I was right, yeah. It, but I, the, Pixar is not... If only everybody was as good as Pixar, but there were so many bad 2D movies now, like uh, Pinocchio, The Adventure Continues. All of the shitty 90s Don Blue stuff, like The Pebble uh, and the Penguin. Yeah. No, they were all bad. Rock-a-doodle, uh, bad crap. The funny crap, thing like, is that DreamWorks, right around this time, I believe, opened up their big animation studio and started making those movies in the late now he's like Prince of Prince of Egypt. Prince of Egypt, the road to El Dorado. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, some other Bible thing. Lots of kind of big budget, but fairly mediocre big budget movies. And meanwhile, Pixar was like, "No, we're here to eat your lunch." Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yes, and everyone was amazed. And I'll tell you. That movie, uh, as of, I don't know, five years ago when I watched it, still holds up technically. What doesn't oh, yeah. hold up are some of the textures that were never be- that never <laughs> meant to be seen on a Blu-ray. Just like, wow, that is an awful-ass texture. It's pixelated. Well, if you watch Toy Stories 2 and the dog shows up the first time, they're clearly like, oh, yeah. look at this amazing new tech that we've got. And it's like, oh, guys, guys it doesn't hold up that very don't well. get the dog out of here. <laughs> <laughs> the first Toy Story tells such a beautiful story that I think it's a tight script yeah, it's uh, like by a- Joss Sweden was involved mm-hmm. in it, I know. And the story, though it's something I've heard uh, some people remark about that like Buzz Lightyear after the first movie doesn't have shit to do in the other two. I think that, that was me on oh, another yes. podcast. Yeah, Which 
podcast was that? Boy, I can't recall. Because I... uh, in 2 and 3, they have to replace... So Buzz Lightyear goes through his arc in 1, and then he has nothing else to do in 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. So in 2 and 3, he is replaced halfway through by either a different Buzz Lightyear... No, it's a, it's a different Buzz Lightyear in both cases, right? Yeah, yeah. well, no, in the second one, he's uh, he gets his memory erased. Right. In, in the third, third one... In third, memory erased, second, a different Buzz. Yes, that's right. So, like, he has nothing to do. He's not really a character after the first movie. Mm-hmm. Do you ever, you ever watch the bonus features that have the other Woody, like when Woody was meaner in the original oh, script? Oh, God, yeah, it was so uncomfortable. Yeah. It was serial I- killer Woody. <laughs> I know that he's like, he didn't accidentally kill Buzz. He's like, I killed him, and I don't care. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, yeah. what are you going to do, huh? That That is like, that's not a likable person. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad Woody got to be the, like, friendly guy everybody believes in. No one's going to buy the Woody murderer doll. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would have. And uh, But that era of SNL was finally, SNL was turning the corner in 95. Yes. I, yeah. As an SNL viewer, I didn't love the frat boy period of uh, Adam Sandler. Wasn't it 95 when like, Rolling Stone or Time said basically SNL is having its worst season ever? I Saturday think, Night Dead. Yeah, 94, 95 was a lot of changeover, a lot of like pinch hitters like Mark McKinney, Chris Elliott, Janine Garofalo, and Michael was, McKeon. But they were yes. still crucifying people like Chris Farley and things like mm-hmm. that. And saying, well, these guys, these, they're not very good. Yeah. They should have been nicer to Chris Farley. I miss Chris mm. Farley now, but well, Chris Farley was seen as kind of a joke back in the mid '90s. I mean, mm. now people. I mean, there are lots of people who are like, "Oh my god, this this incredible physical comedian. This guy is amazing. <laughs> he owns the screen." But people saw him as a lesser, like John Belushi. Frankly, <laughs> I think if he survived, he'd be a great character actor now, like yeah. a super oh, great absolutely. character. Actor. I think he would have won an Oscar by this point, or at least been nominated. I've got the guy Oscars was amazingly talented, but mm-hmm. he had some real demons. It was sad. Yeah. So when Will Ferrell appeared, like, people didn't love him immediately. Nobody was like, great, it's a Will Ferrell show. I still don't like Will Ferrell. Sorry. Oh, no. Yeah. I I loved him. I, but I, the people who insist that he was the greatest SNL person, I'm like, oh, come on. Get out of here. Sorry. I mean, Phil Hartman and, and Bill Murray would go ahead of him for me. I, I mean, to be fair, he, he only has one character he plays. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sherry O'Terry is underrated as, as one. Though Molly Shannon is my favorite uh, lady of that era. Molly Shannon is just so nice. And I think I had like, a crush on her. That's why I liked her. Uh, the, the ultimate Molly Shannon character to me is her in Wet Hot American Summer. The woman mm. who's just like, I just got broken up. And everybody's like comforting her. She's just so good at being funny but depressed. And, and speaking of funny, depressed, Daryl Hammond was there going through some stuff. If you read Daryl Hammond's book. Oh, boy, book, yeah. I don't want to steal jokes from Comedy Bang hey, Bang. That but, is yeah. Trump's preferred impersonation of him is Daryl Hammond. He's like, get that yep. Alec Baldwin off the stage. I agree. He's better than Baldwin. I don't know. what what uh, Anthony Atominic is my favorite. I, I couldn't pronounce his name. That's the name I was searching for. He does the best. He's best the guy Trump. in the President Show, if you know Oh, that, yeah. God, yes. Mm-hmm. President Show is amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I guess enough about that. Uh, yes. So this episode has two new people writing and directing. So first we have Dominic Polcino. Uh, this is his first episode as director. It's a very challenging episode. Lots of planes, lots of action, lots of new locations. Every second there's a new location. You do not give Bob episodes normally to a first timer. Like this is a big thing to give this guy. Yeah. So from The Simpsons, he stayed for a while. He went on to King of the Hill, directing a lot of great episodes, including one of my favorites and Henry's two pretty, pretty dresses. My all time favorite King of the Hill, I think. And then he went to Family Guy, but I guess he needed work. And then he's he's now Rick and Morty. He yeah. works on Rick and Morty now. He was a pro- prolific Family Guy director. He directed the first two Star Wars uh, ones. He did the Blue Harvest and... 
Whatever the second one was called. I don't fucking care. <laughs> now, like those... What show is this? Look, those Family Guy Star Wars episodes are actually not bad. I will say that. They, there's There are some bits I'm like, haha, very funny. But of, say, instead of saying, don't be cocky, don't be penisy. Like, didn't love that line. Yeah. Also, yeah, he did Rick and Morty, including, I think, uh, my favorite of those is that he directed is The Ricks Must Be Crazy, which is one where they go into the pocket universe he created where Stephen Colbert is there. Oh, I love that one. Rival Rick. It's, you know, I'm noticing in most great episodes of Rick and Morty, it's about Rick fighting a version of himself (laughs) that he hates. That is true. That is true. Uh, So the writer of this episode is a freelance writer, uh, Spike Ferriston, who is actually a very prolific comedy writer. His career started at the uh, Berkeley College of Music, not Berkeley, California, but I believe Berkeley, Taxachusetts. Yep. That's where it takes place. <laughs> where all the pinkos um, are. Yes. Uh, he loved David Letterman, and he got kicked out of Berkeley by dropping light bulbs out of his ninth-story dorm because he saw it on David Letterman. <laughs> so he's like, I should just be in comedy. So he went on to start as a production assistant on SNL, and he got he became a writer by feeding Dennis Miller weekend update jokes. So he was a, he was a PA in the, mid, the mid-80s for bad, SNL. Chachi. Yeah. And then he went on to write for Space Ghost Coast to Coast, uh, The Late Show with David Letterman, and The Dana Carvey Show. But but in 1996, he joined Seinfeld and wrote a, a ton, a ton of like super great Seinfelds, like the Soup Nazi, the Muffin Tops, the Reverse People. Uh, up until the end of Seinfeld, he was writing for them. Yeah, he wrote the second to last episode, the Band for a Time Puerto Rican Day yes. episode. Band for questionable reasons. They, it's like you look, weren't supposed to think Kramer was cool for stomping out the fire, the flag yes, that was on yeah. fire. It was a classic Seinfeld mix him up. He didn't mean to burn the Puerto Rican flag. It was an accident. He loved Puerto Rico. It's still warm. I. I I loved on that show in that episode had one of the many appearances of the bullying gay couple. Oh, you're right. Did you just do that? They wanted Kramer to wear the ribbon like years yeah, before, yes, the AIDS yeah. ribbon or whatever. But the Soup Nazi is a classic episode. I of I and Muffin Top. I this just sent me down a, a rabbit hole of memories of Seinfeld. But the episode of Space Ghost he wrote is so good. I don't know if you guys seen it. It is a one of the rare thirty minute Space Ghost episodes that is a beat for beat parody of David Letterman, the, specifically the CBS David oh, Letterman. This guy loves David Letterman so much that he fucking worked for him eventually. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense. <laughs> they have a joke. They, To the extent that over the credits they're saying, oh, this wasn't a great episode. What's the backup episode we have? They're like, an interview with Terry Garr. And it's like, that was always Letterman's backup guest. Terry Garr. Wow, I forgot about that. <laughs> yes. Al Roker was it for Conan, but uh, it was it was Terry Garr usually for, for David. I think Letterman. Conan would just have writers come on as characters. It's like, nobody wants to be on this 1230 show starring no one. <laughs> Letterman would do that too. Uh, Ferriston in an interview even said this episode isn't really his like he was early in his career writing half hours and it was rewritten hugely which oakley on the commentary says it was an arduous rewrite it's one of the the hardest episodes for them to write in their years yeah. they said but i wouldn't have handed a bob episode to a new guy too it's just i really like this bob episode but of the original six bob episodes is actually my least favorite I, mm. i'm gonna agree with you i think it actually i was thinking about shrek a little bit because as we know mm. shrek the original shrek came together ultimately but it was a very joke by committee kind of thing where people mm. were just walking in dropping in jokes and yeah the joke writing is kind of like all over the place in terms of style and that kind of thing so my i I felt it felt a little disjointed to me i mean the the script ultimately is actually pretty tight it's super dense like i usually spend a lot of time just watching and taking notes i think with this episode i spent three hours with it and there's not even that many references it's just like so much is packed into 22 minutes Mm. i wouldn't even say dense i i would say overstuffed there's a different word for that overstuffed i like this episode so one last spike (laughs) ferrison thing he loves talk shows he hosted his own talk show 
show from 2006 to 2009. Really? Talk show with Spike Ferriston. It was Fox's longest-running late-night talk show, <laughs> beating five fabulous weeks of the Chevy Chase show. And Joan Rivers. <laughs> and Joan Rivers, too. I don't I think... Was that a late-night show? Or Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. it was why she was totally out on Johnny, with Johnny Carson. That's right. It did not... Because he betrayed her. Yes. He betrayed her this by not uh, dared, doing everything he or said. Or she betrayed him. So. Yeah. This, this woman dared to have her own show. How dare she? But I watched clips of it. It seems like very Daily Show-ish with sketches. Mm. He seems entertaining. I don't know what he's up to now, but it's, it's amazing that he went from like emulating Letterman to having his own talk show on Fox for three years. I like uh, that he went from dropping light bulbs from a ninth-story window <laughs> to be like, I'm going to go into comedy. Next thing you know, he's writing Seinfeld. From, from light crimes to comedy. <laughs> so, yeah, I think this episode feels overstuffed in the way that it, it almost feels... The term I learned when we watched Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 2 is that they 10%ed it, meaning they sped it up by 10%. That's how it feels a few times in this episode. Like, for example, when Bob says, verbally now by affidavit later, time permitting. I'm just like, that's so fast. Like, slow it down. And also his bit. voice is high-pitched throughout some of this episode, so there, it could be covering too. up a lot of speed-ups. Oh. And, and also there's so many ideas of like, look, I think you can parody Full Metal Jacket or Dr. Strangelove, but to try to do them in the same episode is real busy. I, I love this episode, but you're right. I wish it was just a Dr. Strangelove parody or just a Full Metal Jacket parody. They're kind of all over the place. Bill Oakley said on the commentary he wanted this to be a satire of all of the Cold War paranoia films, but I think there is a lot going on that they can't stick with what works. Yeah, I mean, it does get the Cold War paranoia well. It does pull yeah. that off. But, but with a distinct 90s flair. Yes, <laughs> when the, the idea of an army having a war was funny because that would never happen. <laughs> nope. So we one, got a war tomorrow. Yes, That was a joke once. The idea of America going <laughs> to war in a day so this episode's title i didn't know until now is based on the 1977 film twilight's last gleaming out of all of the things they're parodying they chose the least known movie to go with the title it could have been dr strange bob or bob safe or whatever yeah why dr strange bob is a great name for this episode I, i will take all the credit for that so this movie i have the trailer we can play in a second here but the plot is a renegade usaf general escapes from a military prison and takes over an ICBM silo near Montana and threatens to provoke World War III. So Mm. very similar to Bob breaking out of jail and getting access to the bomb, but it goes in many different places. Those renegade generals, I tell you. They have maybe too much power, perhaps. I say keep an eye on them, but we have part of the trailer that will explain the uh, the plot even more. We have taken control of silo 3. We have full launch control. General Doe is an exceptional officer. Nobody in the Air Force knew our equipment better. You mean to tell me a renegade general's got his finger on the button of a Titan missile? It's a small nuclear device, gentlemen. You are now a superpower. Then he's running out, gentlemen. Somebody better come up with a solution. Who is to talk to the president? Mr. President, there are several demands. Ten million dollars in small denomination. Transportation to a country of our choice. To make certain we arrive safely a hostage. Who do you have in mind? You, Mr. President. Record scratch. Ah. This summer. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's the movie. Also directed by Robert Aldrich. Like, secretly made all of my favorite movies, like Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Kiss Me Deadly, and The Dirty Dozen. I feel like I need to watch this movie because yeah. he is up there with Kubrick. That which, wow, wow, that's impressive. I didn't know that the president was played by the same actor who was the villain in the Muppet movie. Who was also name on is... Evening Shade, and he was Papio Daniels. Oh, no, wait, a different guy. No, no, no. I mean the 1979 right, Muppet yes. movie, or 78. Uh, he was also on Evening Shade, and um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He was Papio Daniels, the, the Flower King. 
god damn what was that actor's name whatever it doesn't matter but i you know i'm interested to see that now too just to see a a taut 1970s thriller of all of of doughy men in suits talking on phones about like well, what are we supposed to do mr president i'm there for the craggy men <laughs> so i have a movie for you most movies in the 1960s that's true yes yeah that those that, that was the only people who got to star in shows that, or star in movies at that time well, i guess well you want to get into the episode though well, that's a, right we're talking about a simpsons episode today <laughs> it's it's a very solemn intro with uh crusty here that then goes straight into double dare at the finish line, a scrumptious parfait of pudding, pickle brine, and detergent with a writhing pile of kids will grope blindly for hot dogs. Rusty, <laughs> please. It burns. <laughs> oh, just think, Lise. That's our pickle brine burning Sideshow Mel. That Sideshow Mel thinks he's so big. <laughs> Whatever happened to Sideshow Bob? Don't you remember, Dad? He framed Krusty. He tried to kill Aunt Selma. He rigged an election. And he tried to murder me. Oh, yeah. But what I'll mainly remember is the laughter. That's not as good as, oh, yeah, Sideshow Bob. <laughs> yeah, it's... But it's... that's built in. Every Bob episode up to a point has that flashback scene in it. He had been busy by this point. He did a lot at this point. Yeah, they they had to really speed up this uh, recapping of his events. Otherwise, like they're just like, we can't keep showing all these Bob clips over and over again. But Homer... In a very Mr. Burns way, has to not remember. <laughs> I was thinking of Burns. Yeah, it's a yeah. very Burns-esque thing that for this, all this to work, Homer cannot remember. Uh, but this intro of uh, Krusty, one, it's a great parody of Double Dare. Like this is in Double Dare, you dig stuff out of noses. It was all like the uh, the slapstickle course is also like it's gonna be sloppy for Mr. Mr. Show. Show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I also love. There's little little animation touches I like, especially when Krusty says blurp. Like he kind of like does a scoop motion with his hand as he says it he could just be Krusty standing still he's very excited to abuse sideshow mel in yes, this part yes yeah <laughs> the the description of pickle brine pudding detergent and hot dogs like it makes me ill right now <laughs> grow blindly for hot dogs yes and they are blind because they're being blinded by it being in their eyes that's way more uh that's way more edgy than tide pods i mean this was the 90s <laughs> when people were getting slimed and having <laughs> to go through all kinds of gross crap and whipped cream everywhere or shaving cream oh, there's been a real slime drought lately uh, i've I not been slimed it. in years <laughs> yeah. next thing back then yeah i mean they still do it on the nick awards every one every once a year i'll see some famous person who showed up gets slimed like the rock or tina fey or something there's a lot of greatest hits in this and that includes opening on crusty abusing sideshow mel like instead of having monkeys attack him that's right it's a lot more specific like in in some episodes like and then uh, monkeys attack sideshow mel i was like no no no. we have to describe each thing that is doing horrible things to him including spoiled eggy bernays that's right and it's, it's introduced as a canned food drive but then quickly revealed to yeah. be a slopstick course <laughs> to waste food yeah like and, and wasting then, food and then all lisa and bart did was send in pickle brine like yeah that's it, but yeah but it was their pickle brine that was burning him mm, yeah they, they can feel certain investment in that then we cut to bob right where we left him at the end of sideshow bob roberts in his minimum security prison oh, westminster abbey edward the confessor himself could not have done better <laughs> now to set the clocks to greenwich mean time <laughs> my dear abbey <laughs> Oh, must you bray night and day at that infernal television? Oh, look who's talking. Yeah, Bob. You used to be on this show. Don't remind me. 
My foolish capering destroyed more young minds than syphilis and pinball combined. Oh, how I loathe that box. That omnidirectional sludge pump droning and burping. Look here, that's enough now. <laughs> I own 60% of that network. All right, break it up, boys. It's time for work detail. I suppose you don't like tabloid newspapers either. Yeah. Yes, uh, Rupert Murdoch should be in jail, but yeah. isn't. No, he's going to die a very rich man. Yeah. Apparently he liked that joke, too. Yeah, no, yeah. That, I got to give it to Rupert when first they made fun of him here and that they, they said on the commentary that Fox was worried he would be mad about that and he personally approved it. And then they'd even do a meaner, ver- well, actually not meaner, but another version of this joke for their big Super Bowl special. Doesn't he call himself a billion, uh, billionaire, billionaire tyrant? tyrant yeah. yep. Rupert Murdoch, billionaire tyrant. <laughs> and now he doesn't even own The Simpsons anymore. More. He just sold it to Disney. Nope. Did you guys catch the Cal Arts reference on Bob? Oh, yeah, that's consistent, though, right? Uh, throughout all of his well, appearances. Well, b- uh, before, I know in Black Widower, he was 24601. Oh, the production code for that episode. No, actually, it's a Les Mis reference. Uh. That is the uh, the number, the prisoner number that Jean Valjean mm. is known by. Some, like, some prisoner on. has a uh, production code number on his That thing. is true, but yeah. but uh, there might be in other Bob episodes, but in Black Widower, it was 24601. One, but on his jumpsuit is A113, the Cal, the famous Cal Arts classroom where mm-hmm. all the artists who made all your favorite cartoons, including Toy Story. Yeah, Brad Bird. Lived, I yeah. think Tim Burton even was mm-hmm. in that classroom. Yeah, I think people. Lassiter uh, at least appreciates it. I don't know if he was in the room, though. We don't talk about him. No, now. we don't. But that's the first of what it's going to be like a dozen ultra flowery Bob speeches, which I absolutely love in this episode. They go so over the top with him. I think they just fell in love with like, oh, how many more monologues can we write? It's like no Bob show has been this monologue heavy with Bob. Bob, Bob has turned up to 11 on this yes. one he's back down to like nine or eight in the next bob appearance i just it's like it's like pure it's almost like burns is like omnidirectional sludge pump well, at this point kelsey Grammer had fraser right oh yeah oh yeah and they he really was... turn it up to 11 and fraser as well because he's mm. always with niles so i wonder if they're just oh, in really? that kind of mindset where... yeah that's true you know he's living fraser all the time on his own show and maybe he's like well i got to turn this up even more to be bob i bet just having fraser on made them more inspired <laughs> you know just like oh uh, man we can write fraser dialogue and you know back in the day they really enjoyed writing you know mr burns dialogue because it was that kind of old-timey dialogue i'm sure that the writers are having a great time just writing this extremely hoity-toity uh, <laughs> uh fancy pants well they're yeah. all harvard jerks of course yeah of course. all hard, except for the the writer of this episode is not but he was heavily rewritten by harvard jerks <laughs> and we're but, not letting this guy without a college degree write a simpsons episode <laughs> he's a freelancer that's far as he goes okay so listeners who are not british Edward the Confessor was the Anglo-Saxon king under which Westminster Abbey was built. So mm. that is why he couldn't have done it better himself. And Dear Abby is an advice column. <laughs> and also a very cheap joke in this episode. My Dear Abby. Yeah, it's a little cornball. Yeah. Uh, so he uh, changes it. He just cha- got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was the first time in this viewing when I got like, oh, it's a Dear Abby reference. I get it now. The When he changes the clock from to Greenwich Mean Time, by the way, he goes from nine to six, meaning that it was either where his time zone is either plus three or minus nine, which is nowhere in America. So I think somebody should get fired over that blunder. Mm-hmm. And yeah, his monologuing, it is, it is so Burnsy. It really, uh, in a couple ones, they really sound like Burns. I love it, though. And I love just how they make him gesticulate. Especially yes. when he's talking about rock you like a hurricane. Yes. <laughs> kind of rube. Uh, well, we'll get to that. Yes. But the, I also do think that Wiggum, not Bart, not Lisa, or Krusty, 
Wiggum is the perfect foil for Bob because he is the stupidest person ever who doesn't care about anything. And just all the all the Wiggum and Bob scenes are just beautiful. I uh, including this one. I renew my objection to this pointless endeavor. Informally now and by affidavit later. Time permitting. Shut your word hole. We got to get this place clean for the air show. Air show? Buzz-cut Alabamians spewing colored smoke from their whiz jets to the strains of rock you like a hurricane? <laughs> what kind of country-fried rube is still impressed by that? Yeah! Yeah! Yeah. I want to meet the first female stealth bomber pilot. During the Gulf War, she destroyed 70 mosques, and her name is Lisa, too. I want to see some birds get sucked into the engines. Rare ones. This year, I'm making earplugs out of biscuit dough. They're ready. <laughs> so that's one of three times in this episode where Marge has a late deflated reaction. It happens yes. two more times and they're all great. I love Lisa, despite her politics, just being on board with another person named Lisa doing cool well, like stealth bomber things. She's a lady who's flying yeah. a stealth bomber. That's cool. Uh, blowing, up, blowing up mosques. Yeah, that yeah. The, the idea of blowing up mosques is even less funny now yes. than it was in 95. Hey, well, she's a hawk. She can run for president one day. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, some I mean, liberals are hawks. That's, that is some of the imperial feminism that I'm not the biggest fan <laughs> imperial of. Imperial feminism. I, it's, a, it's a term I learned from an older boy, but, <laughs> uh, but uh, from a smarter person than me. But it was, well, just this idea of like feminism is a good thing but when it's like well yeah it's feminism means we uh it's all women who are in charge of we this destroy the prison. world now like yeah mm-hmm. we get to blow up things like feminism for me would at least intersect with like i'd also like us to blow up fewer things as a country that would be nice so march's reaction to going to this <laughs> air show so recently i went to the opener for an mls soccer game and i had a great mm. time but my friend brought his significant other and she'd not have a good time and i oh. felt bad for her and so i was thinking of her a lot when Marge was having a real bad time with the air show. Yeah, that's. I think we've all been in situations where you're a group of people going and mm. at least one person is not happy to be there. Sometimes it's even you who's the person who's not happy to be <laughs> well, there. We're, but... having, we're sitting around, we're talking about sports and mm-hmm. having a good time and everything. She's like, I'm so bored and it is cold and it is loud in here and why am I here? Mar- Marge's unhappiness especially like struck a chord for me because... Mm. I definitely made my mom take me to many things she did not care for. How many wrestling events did you make her go only to? Only like four. <laughs> only uh, So when we lived in Atlanta, that's when they were all like local. So she'd take me to a few. And I thought she liked at the time. The one she hated was we never went to an air show, but we did go to a monster truck show, which, by the way, I love that image of the monster truck airplane driving over yes, things. Not even ad. flying, just driving with giant tires. <laughs> but uh, maybe I've told the story before on here. But when we went to the monster truck show bigfoot was preceded by two hours of drag races in that's how it always happens it's like two hours of boring non-exciting bullshit yeah but they're loud right i mean come on they loud that's a secret (laughs) word yes it was very loud to my mom has told me she got tinnitus from going to one of those oh my god yeah marge is like seriously uh having some physical problems during this event you do feel bad for her and so it makes me feel bad by association with my mom uh making her go to events like that especially for like nobody liked going to the monster truck show it, it was killing all of our ears is before we thought about like get some earplugs just bring earplugs with you uh, uh though i have been to an air show have any of you guys been to an air I show have. no uh so the air show i went to as a kid was in arkansas and it was one of the ones of like uh see the blue angels i got i actually got a blue angels plus bo jackson poster which uh, i put, happily now put that on is the most 90s thing ever is that another sport he played i don't i don't understand i mean he, he was just ready to advertise the military industrial 
industrial complex. Okay, that's, sounds that's cool. <laughs> well, my dad was in the military. Oh. And he was stationed at Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota. Mm. And that's where he met my mom. Wow. And so I went to visit my parents' family at one point. And we ended up going to an air show, and mm. because mine at Air Force Base is where all the nuke, uh, all the bomber wings take off to go Ooh. nuke Russia. But yeah. no, they had a. I don't remember the air show very well myself because I remember I remember, recall being pretty young. Mm-hmm. But I mean, probably The Simpsons is pretty accurate, like playing lots of annoying music. You get to watch yeah. the planes fly around. I mean, here in San Francisco, they have Fleet Week, and so the Blue Angels are always flying overhead. You do hear that rad. in SF. Yeah, my air show memories are very light. I remember getting, because I was brought there not by my parents, but it was one of those like sleepover, and then the next, on Sunday morning, you're going to go to something. And But infor- fortunately, it was an air show, not church. Uh, uh-huh. But uh, sorry, churchgoers. Uh, actually, there's some people upset by how negative to religion we were in the Bart Celsus. If anyone should be negative, it should be me. Yeah, you were scared <laughs> the most by it. But what I do remember is the night before, I watched the Spider-Man live-action t- TV movie as uh, we had rented it. I was like, well, this is live-action Spider-Man. It must be great. And it was very boring. Was it better than the air show? Uh, we went even. saw Rocketeer. When we were there. Oh, I man. remember this now. And we were going to go see Rocketeer. To to sign up I was like, that. I'm going to go to Rocketeer. I want to go see Rocketeer. <laughs> and my dad was like, well, why don't we go see Terminator 2 instead? And I was like, Dad. You can't do that. Mom would be mad. <laughs> it's the movie event of a lifetime. <laughs> uh, it, One more thing about the air yes. show, though. It was advertised as being on Saturday, November 25th. This episode aired on Sunday, November 26th. They knew. Yeah. They knew or they edited uh, it in very late. So I, lo- I mean, it was just a still image. They could have just redrawn it. But yeah. It was, it's a cute I, touch. Like This is the first time I noticed that, too. The Simpsons will be right back. Did somebody say box kites? How about Patreon? I know somebody must have said that. This podcast is supported by Patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. It's what helps me and Bob do this full time and get awesome things to use, such as Talking Futurama, our brand new limited series where we're going through every episode of the first season of Futurama in the Talking Simpsons style, and you can only hear it at patreon.com slash talking simpsons just sign up for five dollars a month and you'll get access to that every episode of what a cartoon and talking simpsons a week early and ad free you should see the new steven universe episode that just went live you can also hear exclusive interviews like our brand new one with dan graney the 20 year veteran of simpsons writing who invented the word in big end that and so much more can be found at patreon.com slash talking simpsons so why don't you sign up today Did you ever watch an animated series and think to yourself, what a cartoon? Me and Bob Mackie did. So we decided to start our own podcast about that very thing. We go through a different cartoon episode every week, such as Batman the Animated Series, Classic Heart of Ice, King of the Hills, Amazing Peggy's Headache, and now this week, live early, 
on patreon.com slash talking simpsons it's steven universe the first two episodes gem glow and laser light cannon we go through those in the talking simpsons style of fun analysis and you can hear it all look for what a cartoon in all your itunes stitchers google play or you can hear it a week early and ad free if you're a subscriber on patreon.com slash talking simpsons Hey, this is Sideshow Luke Perry. You're listening to Talking Simpsons on Laser Time. We get more of Bob. When I say Bob has turned up to 11, he turns into Doctor Doom in this episode. <laughs> He's never... This well, is the cartoonish supervillainy. When you have it's, access to a nuke, it does sort of uh, heighten up your personality a bit. Yeah, if I had access to nukes, you just better watch out. <laughs> but but this is when it... Uh, this is what puts him over the edge. So weird. Grandma, this is my friend, Craig. <laughs> Friend? You mean you two aren't knocking boots? <laughs> Ever do the backseat mambo, Craigie? Uh, I know that voice. TV's bottomless chum bucket <laughs> has claimed Vanessa Redgrave. Now I'm gonna haul ass to Lollapalooza! <laughs> <laughs> Farewell, dear Vanessa. <laughs> Second shot at Fox in this episode alone. Yes. They, they are going hard on Fox in this one. <laughs> That's like the platonic ideal of a Fox sitcom in 1995. Like, so yeah. much bad TV in the mid-90s. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we remember. We you should remember be the... sorry. Cat, apologize to the decade right now. I'm sorry. I am an esteemed representative of television. <laughs> but, I mean, we always remember the good stuff. But I was thinking back to like, oh, the mid-90s, it had a lot of awful, awful mm. TV that I hated. I can understand why Bob was like wanted to abolish it at that point yeah mm. at the same time though the anxiety over tv is a very 1990s idea and i mm. think like if this episode were made today bob would be like smartphones they're ruining society yeah. children Social are media wa- yeah. yeah children are watching youtube how dare they well when even when he says well let's let's revive the art of conversation <laughs> yes i mean that's Scrimshaw. a very that's that's this thing now right? oh yeah, yeah yeah it's like i, I go to uh, i used to go to a cafe until they got rid of the wi-fi and they put up a sign that says no there's no wi-fi have, have a conversation pretend it's 1995 i'm like i'm here to fucking work yeah Ugh, i don't yeah. want to start a conversation very full i'll insult. confess i've sounded like bob at times where uh-huh. i've just been like social media is ruining everything destroy it all I burn it think, all down i do think i'd be a happier person without social media in my life but uh, not just, me i need it <laughs> well, I need it, Just but it's it in also, my veins. it's like I'm scratching an itch until I bleed every time I read it. But it also helps image. me in a way too. Like, yeah, sorry. This uh, episode I noticed though, um, it oddly has like three act breaks when most episodes don't. Yeah, and I don't know if that's because they want to go right from the 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 smash joke at the end to the credits or what. Mm. But this is one of three act breaks. There's normally two. That's true. I had miss I had missed that in the, this viewing because there's not actual commercials on it. But that '90s sitcom was so like there were a million sassy grandparents on every 90s sitcom the I, when i see them now when i see sassy old people in movies now i'm like or tv shows I just think this was hacking 20 years ago yeah. why I mean, are you still doing this the mid 90s had generic workplace comedies mm-hmm. it had shows with names like men behaving badly yep. i mean it, it was bad <laughs> 
Well, in the mid two thousands, there were shows like that too. Just like oh, yeah. finally, men men are so oppressed; they need to be free. There was the attempt to make a bosom buddies for the two thousands. Oh no! Uh, which was about where men couldn't get hired as men, so they had to dress as women to get jobs. Affirmative action. Because they said there was a man session going on. It's like no, there wasn't. Well, no. circa the mid nineties, though, I was watching Babylon Five and. Mm. The reason that show jumped out at me was simply because it was serialized and was it did not forget what had yeah. happened the previous episode. I was like, this is so advanced and an incredible <laughs> form of t- storytelling. This is amazing. As a person who now wishes he had the time to watch every TV show, I do kind of miss the vast wasteland of bad television because then I really did only need to follow like 12 shows to know the good shows. You could yeah, literally, but then you had yeah. to watch them when they aired. Yeah, it's true. true. Yeah, it wasn't on demand. I, By the way, Vanessa Redgrave, I will say, the clo- looking at her IMDb page, the closest thing to Fox besmirching her uh, was that she had an arc on Nip Tuck, the FX series. Uh, that was a pretty uh, uh, randy uh, show, oh, right? Quite a randy <laughs> show, yeah. I remember one episode uh, arc Rosie O'Donnell was on there as a uh, very mean old straight lady. Like she she coerced sex out of one of the guys on the show. If I believe that show was uh, like like all shows by that series creator, it was an insane television. Who was show. the guy? Is it the Hannibal person? Uh, no, not the Hannibal person. The, the guy who does American Horror Stories. Ryan. Uh, okay. Some other is let's haul ass to Lollapalooza. A reference to anything? It's a reference to Lollapalooza. It's a cool thing for somebody to say. Like it's like, uh, you say it's haul ass. Rattled around in cool my brain thing. for years now. <laughs> it, it's well, it's kind of like the rap and granny of just like your granny wouldn't go to Lollapalooza. That's for young people who like alternative music mm. and that she would then say haul ass it makes it even even and more if she randy. was on a motorcycle yes yeah <laughs> so but so lollapalooza and hullabalooza both exist in the simpsons world oh you're right yeah. that's true but and that, yeah this season ends with homer hauling ass to lollapalooza he does <laughs> oh, oh so very very different it's a completely different concert uh and then we also get a gag about how little you pay prisoners which is true uh, this uh, they, it's not five cents an hour, but so the example I looked up here was last year, 2017. There were those very horrible near here Sonoma wildfires, which in the Bay Area we only had to just deal with sooty air for a long time. That sucked. Uh, but lots like my mom lived in Santa Rosa at the time. Many of her friends lost homes. The people working on the wildfire included you know regular firefighters, but also prisoners doing firefighting. They averaged a dollar an hour to fight fires. Like, That's come terrifying. on. Kind of slavery. There was yeah. also flood relief uh, by prisoners in Houston. That's mm-hmm. oh, becoming yeah. much more of a thing again. Well, I mean, Chain gangs. Yeah, I'm wondering it, yeah. if it's a conspiracy that uh, more laws are being written to basically get slave labor for corporations and the <laughs> mm, government. Dark. Huh, uh, because no. like prisoners now, like they fucking make Victoria's Secret clothing and things like that. It's not just <laughs> yes. license plates. It's like they're doing things for corporations. Mm-hmm. Well, Bob, that would only work if our justice <laughs> system was putting people in jail wrongly and over-sentencing them. I believe I it's a... No, it's a pure meritocracy. Yeah. If you're guilty, they know. Mm-hmm. The only... All those people People deserve to be paid a dollar because they're definitely guilty and we're not uh, treated poorly by the justice system. Mm-hmm. I sincerely believe this. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, just like Sweet Seymour Skinner's badass song that says some real disrespect for the military, which yes. is dated more than anything. In like, this episode. It just kind of like, isn't the military useless now? Like, what are they doing? I That's know. kind of the commentary <laughs> yes. in this and Sweet Seymour. Uh, oh, but you know what? It's funny you mentioned Hannibal. Hey, where is Sideshow Bob and that guy who uh, eats people and takes their faces? I'm right here, Chief. Uh, oh, then where's Sideshow Bob? Uh, he ran off. Oh, great. Well, 
If anyone asks, uh, I beat him to death, okay? Right. <laughs> That's a good cool way. To, it's also a good way to address, like, why did Wiggum not go after Bob? Like, Wiggum disappears after this. He's so like, the guy who kills and eats people and eats their faces is in minimum security resort prison? Yep. He could have been, like, a white-collar face stealer <laughs> or face eater. Is I, it stealer well, or eater? He kills he, people and eats. Uh, he kills people and, no, them with a eats nice people panty. and takes their faces. Yeah, That's because Hannibal Lecter takes the guy's face yes. in the movie. He kills critic co-star Charles uh, Napier, Charles Napier yeah. and steals, steals his face and then walks up. Uh, yeah, that, and I just love his cheer. He's like, I'm right here, Chief. He's very chipper. Yes, yeah. That's how, that's how he eats people's faces. Well, that's he how he ended up in minimum security resort prison. He was too, well, he was white and friendly. So they're like, <laughs> well, we can't put you in real jail. Come on. No. I. So then they're getting a tour of all the stuff, which will, of all the military stuff, that will mostly come back as plot points later in it. And I really love the line, dollar intensive ordinance delivery vectors. <laughs> I, I like Marge being enchanted by the idea of five tires. Yes, Just like yeah. the crocodile at uh, family, uh, Uncle Mo's family feedback. Those remind me of like, a very Peggy Hill moments of like, she couldn't believe it, like five tires. This was the first time I caught that the alcohol-free Duff joke is meant to establish the Duff blimp is there and will be a location later. They do a lot of work with setting up just sort of the logistics of where things are and what's happening mm-hmm. in different places. Which honestly they don't need to do because it happens so fast it barely registers. Yeah. Like, you're not thinking, oh, that's a Duff blimp. I'll remember that. We didn't need a jokey scene with Homer. I mean, it's funny, but um, I mean, it's not necessary. I'm sure they were talking about in the meetings, like, well, it's it's mostly set on the Air Force Base and like, you know, they're going, the kids are in there and various mm-hmm. things are happening. So we better like set things up really well so they that people hard. can follow it. And it is a return of the Duff Blimp last seen mm-hmm. in uh, Lisa the Beauty Queen, yes, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's been I, another episode. They've but... had to build a new Duff Blimp because Barney crashed that one. <laughs> That's and right. Somehow survived. <laughs> He's but fine. Yes. Oh, the humanity. Anyway. <laughs> and excuse me, but Homer drink six beers that are six dollars a piece and then he is charged 48 dollars for it maybe the guy was drunk (laughs) he was charging him for eight beers like that i expect better math from a writing staff that is david cohen that's true he was asleep with the switch he wasn't asleep he was drunk i have a problem i have to say more simpsons we all have a problem that's why we're doing this (laughs) and then we get a great millhouse scene i this uh, this is more family strife of millhouse it is setting up the next season's millhouse divided for sure When you see him land in the yes. next scene, he's dead. He's a dead body. There's no parachute. Yeah. It's my favorite gag in the entire episode. <laughs> Dr. Sally Wexler. Do you want to give that line of the episode, guys? Let's do it. Let's do it. That's the joke. I think personally for me, a Bob line might overwrite this, but I love take that Dr. Sally Waxler. <laughs> it's, it's so specific. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the specificity is why it works. Yeah. Oakley and Weinstein love a good name. And Sally Waxler sounds like a woman who committed herself to child therapy. Like that's who she is. And God damn, just to, uh-huh. that... That he flies off and yeah, not he's not in the chair anymore. There's no parachute. Yes. A body falls into that snack it's a bar. Good physical comedy. I'm always mm. down for somebody flying off into the air and falling again. I'd like to think that Milhouse's stunt double uh, climbed into <laughs> the seats uh, only when he see, gets hurt. 
We also see the dark inner life of Millhouse, which yeah. uh, it's really dark, apparently. Yeah, what's, why is he so angry? I mean, clearly his parents are fighting all the time, and I think he's Well, and if it were 2018, that. he'd be on Reddit and, like, Nazi, yeah. Nazi subreddits. Yeah, so. he is a little wiener kid. We need to, we need to write an, uh, they need to write an episode where Millhouse falls into Gamergate as well. I've heard it'll happen. No. <laughs> uh, so... Then we get our introduction to Happablap, which I do love that he's introduced by saying, just grumbling. So this name, if you read the, uh, and I wouldn't read this because it's not that great, the Uncensored Oral History of the Simpsons, they talk about this is one of the jokes that kept them in the writer's room until three in the morning. Naming this colonel kept them there until like 3 a.m. Yeah, It was a very, very hardworking staff. It it was. And that that was what Mike Scully would not do on his time there. They they took pride in leaving at five some days. Uh, So our Arlie Irby, don't have to play the death jingle here. He is still with us, at least at the time of recording, knock <laughs> on wood. He was a real-life drill instructor in the 60s and would go in the late 70s. He would become an actor. He would take the GI Bill and go to school in Manila, actually, and then become an actor in the 70s. He would appear in such stuff as Apocalypse Now before hitting it big time as a drill instructor in Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. And he eventually went on, like in this episode, to basically play a comedic version of his character. And he, he's doing it in Toy Story at he the same time. Ca- yeah, at the same time as we're watching this, he's doing it in Toy Story. He is typecast in this forever that he's always playing a, a military strongman of some type or against type in that of like, Hey, wouldn't it be funny to hear Arlie Ermey's voice come out of the, like this uh, unicorn or some shit? Yeah, that's 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 great writing, guys. You're like, hey, Arlie <laughs> well, I mean, Ermey. Every every line in this, I think, is written with the intention like it would be amazing to hear him say this. It would like, be corpse you up. Yes, yeah, it's it's all beautiful. I I mean, I love Full Metal Jacket. It's it's a great film. I I don't know about how you guys feel about I've it. I've seen the second half of it, uh, which it's a phenomenal movie. So the non Arlie Ermey half? Yeah, no, wow. I missed all of the most iconic bits. Yeah, no one remembers when they go to Vietnam. Like, yeah, yeah. As far, but, I mean, it's still like very watchable. Once again, oh, yeah. beautifully shot, uh, interesting to follow. But of course, all the iconic bits are happening when they're in uh, in camp. Mm-hmm. But and I've seen I've seen clips from it and it's very mm. creepy especially uh when uh the what's his name shoots pile himself. private pile Vincent D'Onofrio. yeah yeah well yeah that's it it hurts the movie in people's memory that in the middle of the movie they kill off the two most interesting characters that's they right. both just mm. die together boy i haven't seen it in like 15 years i really need to rewatch it it's, but, uh... it's great and arlie Ermey is a big part of that when i read about how kubrick worked with him it is the most anti-kubrick story ever because stanley kubrick was famous for torturing actors making him do exactly what he said and making him do 800 takes including like scatman carruthers was tortured by kubrick he's like it's time for a fun stanley kubrick movie please don't make me say this line again haven't you got it (laughs) but meanwhile he said that uh, arlie army said that he got to improvise because the reason he got the job was he told Kubrick, like, this isn't what a this isn't what a marine drill instructor says. I was one. I'll just do it. And so they let him improvise a lot of those lines about uh mostly that involves slurs. No. I mean he was hired to consult another actor yeah. to tell him how to be a drill sergeant, and then they realized, like, oh no, he's better at this than mm-hmm. the guy we hired to act. Yeah, so. and, and and also that Kubrick said he only did like two or three takes with him, which is like that's amazing to think because there are some incredible tracking shots of him just like walk 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 but 
I mean, he must have, like, he has military-like precision in it, I would <laughs> I'm say. I'm going to be honest. I think Kubrick was afraid of him. <laughs> that like, could be. He could push around an actor, but not like a like a, like a genuine military tough mm, guy. That's true. Hmm. Would you want him yelling at you? No, no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would not. I mean, you, I would just cry if I, he was <laughs> screaming at me after I just had my head shaved and I was drafted into Vietnam. In terms of realism, it kind of reminds me of what they did with United Flight 91, um, where oh. they got the actual... Uh, the actual person who is the air traffic controller on that day wow. to come in and basically reprise his role <laughs> in the movie. That. Clint Eastwood's new movie just did that. Of the, it was the story of you remember that story about the Americans in France who stopped the terrorist yes. on the train. So he made a movie about that, and he just cast the two guys who did that as themselves. It was a good. I idea. wonder it, if it, he was still doing one take with those guys. I wonder. <laughs> Sorry, Ken. Probably. I was going to say was that that movie is a really good example to basically be like bow down before the military in yeah. terms of uh, the difference between this episode where they're making fun of it and being mm. like, oh, the military is kind of useless versus now where it's like bow down before the military. Yeah, well, this is all this pre-9-11 stuff that mm. just is like, boy, this, I mean, this is before endless war just became the reality we're all used to. I, yeah, we were at the end of history. It's like, okay, no more war. Mm. Everything's gonna be great from now on. And we yeah. figured it all out. Uh, and I, the last thing I want to say about Arlie Ermey as an actor is my favorite lazy use of him, and there's been a lot of them, but my favorite is in the third X-Men film, X3, X-Men United, <laughs> which uh, directed by uh, sex offender Brett Ratner. And in it... I don't recall this movie. Uh, it's it's the third one where uh, what are you everybody about? gets called... Okay, yeah, it didn't happen. It got erased by uh, Wolverine going back in yeah. time <laughs> and saving Bolivar Trask. But in another universe, there's a bit in the film where they have to establish that they are going to be... That the army now has plastic guns that they are going to be shooting at Magneto, thus he cannot stop their bullets. And the, in the most obvious choice ever, like, well, we need this exposition over guys picking up plastic guns. Who's going to say it? Just Arlie Army. <laughs> he is not on screen. He was not a character in the film. It is just Arlie Army's voice over it saying, like, pick up your plastic guns. You know what that means? No metal. Magneto can't do it. Now get to work, soldier. And I was like, this is so lazy. Wow. You probably recorded over the phone, I'm guessing. I would bet. I would bet. All right. But anyway, uh, let's hear some of Arlie Army right here versus Sideshow. Who would have ever thought there would be a cartoon show where Kelsey Grammer would share a scene with Arlie Army? What in the world, according to Garp? <laughs> How's are my dress towels? <laughs> Who's in my private washroom? McGucket? Let me in. The door already is closed. What? This is Colonel Leslie Hap, Hap a blap. If you don't open that door, I'll tear you up like a Kleenex at a snot party. You say you're in the military? Sweet <laughs> Anola Gay, son. I'm gonna come in there and corpse you up. Corpse you up and mail you to mama. Well, where'd he go? <sighs> Got my knuckles all lined up for nothing. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. I love how they just replace all of what would be a slur or a curse word with a bizarre reference to something like "What in the world?" According to Garp, that's true. He would have, he would have just said the f word and then called somebody a, another f word. And I'm sure he'd say "fuck you up," not oh, "corpse yeah. you up." Oh yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, but I, him him kissing all three of his knuckles and calling them ladies. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, is ladies. Too. I love that. And uh, and Bob's reply of like door already is closed. This scene reminds me of an adventure game puzzle. Like you have to figure out how. <laughs> 
another person talks so you can impersonate them later. Uh, Bob is very clever here. He is. Yeah. He's bringing that uh, clown college experience out there. Well, where did he go to school to learn how to, to become an entertainer? Uh, well, he went to Yale. So All right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, stop calling it clown college. Uh, well, he calls, no, he calls the school Niles went to. Cl- Princeton. Uh, Cecil. Princeton, yes. Yes. Uh, but yeah, this is him using all of his skills as an actor to do it, which makes it work even better. It, it's less out of color. In the TV, and he crams himself in the garbage can. That's true. More uh, physical yeah. comedy. Yeah, just like how he shrunk yeah. down to say, like, uh, he's selling your future short, and then scrunches down in Bob I, Roberts. I was wondering how he's able to do that, but they set it up earlier in the last season. He can like sort of contort himself. Mm-hmm. He, he's a contortionist. He's actually good at everything Krusty can't do. But then he has the the white cartoon eyes, the glowing cartoon eyes inside <laughs> yes. of the garbage can. Yeah, that's... every character has those in The Simpsons, though. It, it, the second the lights go off, or even it if is. it's like dimmed slightly, <laughs> it is a funny image of just two you know, like circly eyes inside the garbage can. But then, and then they cackle. And yeah. You've seen that a million times in cartoons. I've never seen or read The World According to Garp. Has anybody else here seen nope. it? I read the no, book. No. It's, that was Leonardo, um, Vin- uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Uh, wait, I thought the movie... No, that's... Wait. I thought Robin Williams started the movie. It is, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah from the 80s. Go. Um, I gotta say, if you're a white liberal college student in your 20s, it's mm-hmm. a good book. Just like mm-hmm. a lot of John Evering books. Uh, so it's about... Uh, does a man from the middle class have like uh, ennui? Yes, exactly. Oh, man. I, and I, I, will uh, an affair get him to stop having ennui? Uh, exactly. Actually, I, I, I believe... Knew. No, it's not It's not that, Pat, yeah, but okay, I believe his okay, wife yeah. has an affair. And oh, like, okay. This character is such a self-insert. I believe it's an English professor or something oh, like course. that. And it's like... And his wife's uh, mistress, or what do you call a uh, a man your wife is cheating on you with? A mister? A mister, I guess. Uh, the, his wife's mister <laughs> uh, gets in a car accident and he's castrated. Or is like his dick and balls are cut off. And, that, okay. and I'm like, okay, that's great. Good. Yeah. I mean, on. I guess he's really mad at that uh, adulterer. I guess. <laughs> but this, is what ha- this is before people had the outlet of fan fiction online. They, they wrote these novels. But I believe the uh, the movie was noted as like the first like sensitive portrayal of a trans person played oh, by John Lithgow. Huh. Yep. That's interesting. I, I, maybe I will check it out then. Uh, did you, I? I gotta say, there's been better grandpa ramblings than talking about the White, Wright brothers playing. Yes, it just I, it doesn't mathematically make sense. He wouldn't say Civil War. That's the thing. He would not have thought that happened at the Civil War. He's losing his mind. But I gotta say, yeah. more more non tedious reference information. This is yeah. the the Model B. Oh, one hundred were made. One hundred were made. Uh, three were in existence as of 2007. Wow. Yes. Okay, so that's not exactly the Wright Brothers play, or it's a Wright Brothers play, not the only one. Right, and I the see. thing about uh, piecing together history from sugar packets, I've always wondered what that joke meant. Yeah. So I looked it up, and the meaning of the joke is, just like matchbooks, sugar packets used to have like little biographical information on them about the place you're in, or the city you're in, or the town you're in. I assume just like the natural like molding together of every corporation has stamped that out, like the individual. Yeah. Yeah. of you know matchbooks and sugar packets wow i had no idea that's yeah. still, well at least cereal boxes still give kids information yeah but not in my lifetime and i never <laughs> saw i would see things on matchbooks like this hotel was built in 1908 and blah 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 never on a sugar packet and did you notice bart not only do they set up 
the Wright Brothers plane, which will be used in the last act. Bart is wearing a backpack in just about every shot just to set up one joke about his backpack exploding. It's <laughs> kind of inconsistent, actually. It is inconsistent, yeah. but it's in more shots than it's not in. I loved hearing Dominic Palcino groan after he saw that plane about having to draw that plane moving. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. yeah. What a fun, like I really got to give it to Dominic. There's, there's a reason he ascended to being one of the top animators of his, uh, on television for a time is because he was able to handle being thrown all this shit on his first directing. It was job. a great trial by fire. Yeah. We've heard Bob versus Happablap, but now it's time to hear Bob as Happablap. Authorization code. Son, this is Colonel Happablap. That fool McGugget sprayed runway foam all over Chuck Yeager's Acura. Now get down there with the chamois triple time. But, Colonel, I'm under strict orders. Sweet Anola Gay, son. Get moving or I'll tear you up like a Kleenex at a snot party. Sir, right away, sir. <laughs> Uh, they get a lot I, of stuff out of Bob's big feed in this one too. They do. I love Bob just being just like repulsed by what he has to say. It's not party. <laughs> it's important to my plan, but I just yeah. don't want to say it. It it is the idea of a snot party does disgust me. Like Chuck whatever. Yeager's Acura. Yeah, Chuck Yeager's Acura. Which Chuck Yeager, in case you don't know, is the test pilot who broke the speed barrier, the speed of sound barrier, on October fourteenth, nineteen forty seven. And I believe, like in um, like weird early Sonic the Hedgehog lore. Chuck Yeager is secretly the creator of Sonic the Hedgehog. What? And like, so Sega, when they created Sonic the Hedgehog, they re- they rewrote his lore like 19 times. Oh, yeah. That's, one a, that's of the, a lot in that Console Wars book. Yes. It? Yeah. It's actually, that's where I got it from. Oh, so okay. one of the times, Sonic was a creation of the pilot who broke the sound barrier. So and oh. I brought that up during the podcast and someone was like, Chuck Yeager? And I'm like, I guess. Like, Chuck Yeager <laughs> created Sonic the Hedgehog in this weird non-canon that Sega made. If only you'd remembered that he's Acura, you would remember. Oh, yeah, that Chuck Yeager. The Acura, the Acura owner. Is a car. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone and, driven an Acura? Uh, yeah, my dad had an Acura. Mm. He, uh, we were a Honda family, so and an upper middle class Honda family as well. So we had had an Accord, and he was thinking of getting another Accord. But then, like you know, the Acura is the fancier model up from that. It goes. Well, back then it went, uh, it went Civic Accord Acura. So he mm. went up to the Acura and now I think he just drives like a Jeep or something. I think he's finally quit the, the Honda lifestyle, my dad, but I don't talk to him. <laughs> I, I liked hearing this. It's good that you can hear the guard side of things. So, you know, it's a little garbled that how he is fooled by Bob. Bob that. doesn't have a perfect version of it. That's very clever. I never thought of mm-hmm. that, that we, he's getting like, uh, you know, interference. The, the explanations are there if you want to find it, but they're just so fucking fast. You can't catch them. Uh, uh, then we get to see that Homer thinks that cigarettes are the equivalent of aspirin. Yes. Which, yeah. The, and this is the bit that made me just like ache inside seeing my mom. I was seeing, I felt like I was seeing my mom suffer uh, ear damage there. I, I'm just trying to match Bob's mom's sadness from the last episode. <laughs> You'll I, never beat me. <laughs> Mostly I was thinking of my girlfriend at that point. Aw. Does she, oh yeah, she is someone I, I've who doesn't her, have fun I've at, drained uh, her to my share of sporting events mm-hmm. and she's a good sport about it, but <laughs> no it's, pun intended. it's pretty rough. I would be uh, just a huge bitch yeah, all the time so I, I don't go to those. If I brought you to a wrestling show, I think you'd be pretty... I think I'd have fun at wrestling. Yeah, yeah you, you missed out on a wrestling show. We, we did a local one. It was fun. I read on Facebook, this is a very good, if, if, if insulting comparison, but someone said um, wrestling is just anime for rednecks. Oh, yeah. And yep. I'm like, 100%. that makes perfect sense.
perfect yeah. sense. No, it totally yeah. is. Superhero stuff. Yeah. yeah. Recent guest star Dan Reichert is coming to that realization now because he never watched anime and now he started the with Jeff Gersman, the very good podcast, All Systems Goku, where they are watching every episode of Dragon Ball Z Kai in order. And every time they come to a realization, they're like, oh, this is like in wrestling when yeah. this character, like, oh, this is like in wrestling. I was like, exactly. So I'll take that back. Anime is wrestling for sons of the soil. I don't want to be offensive. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh god, that was a good one. That's a good Thank one, you. man. Uh, it, and then we get Bob stealing a, his his nuke, and his laughing is a great sequel to the laughter scene from Bob Roberts, with it being interrupted with his like oh. his near doom. Yeah, he almost killed everybody. The tiniest nuke ever, I gotta say, it's very yeah. cute. It's about the size of a Davy Crockett. It's it is very retro. He made a good mm. choice for like display purposes. But that thing is like a tactical nuke, like the mm. kind that you would shoot off the end of a bazooka. Yeah, I I will say. They they have some explanations why Bob's like theater training could help him in bits, but mm. he must have been a theater tech and the greatest theater tech of all time to pull off a lot of the technical things he does in this episode. I will say that. Uh, also, in speaking of technical mess ups, when I recorded this way back when, in when I was thirteen, my VHS I messed up the beginning of the unpause from pausing the commercials, so I never heard. Fl- the flightless God. bird speech. Henry, I missed it for the with longest time. Each of these stories, I'm just like, you were playing with fire. I know. You were playing with fire editing out commercials. You can't do that. But I want to go I... back in time and tell little Henry, just leave them in. You'll well, want to see them in the future. Well, yes. 20... Yeah, they'll be cool in the future. In 20 like... years later, they would have been cool. But for but for the five years after I recorded it, I wanted it to just play with no commercials and having to fast forward it. That, that was my point. You still use those tapes today. I, I, I've got to find those. Man, those tapes are probably gone. I think I probably probably said i these have sentimental value to me mom but well, they've decreted yeah i mean how would i even watch them i'd first need to get a vhs player yeah, and uh, yeah I, uh but did somebody say box kites to slip the surly bonds of earth and touch the face of god to fly the dream of man and flightless bird alike <laughs> and now Hold on tight as we blast through the thrilling highlights of aviation history. Say, did somebody say box kites? No. Everybody groans. <laughs> the box kite was originally used as a means of drawing wet string. <laughs> Another great line. Yeah, as uh, a Martin, there. you know Martin totally volunteered for that. He's so happy to tell yeah. the world about box cuts. He's very excited. Yeah. And that was the fifth dimensions up, up and away. Mm-hmm. And I believe uh, I thought they. Were, this sounds like a very white band, but they're all black performers. I'm pretty sure. Really? Yeah. Check oh. out the clip. Oh yes. Would you like to ride in my they're not white, right? Uh, not all of them. Or I think yeah, actually none of them are. This is like uh, very bad quality video, but yeah, no, they're African American. This sounds like Starland Vocal Band. Yeah. They suck. That's up, man. Yeah, they just they sound like boring white bread people, but they are not. I guess can we please shut this off. Okay, so I guess that was easy. I was loving it. That was an easy way to get on the radio, Henry. You're messed up. I guess sounding white was an easy way to get on the radio before civil rights happened. So uh, yeah, yeah the, I, I can see why. The less black you sound, like, the more likely you'll be on the radio. We will not hire a white person to reperform this. Oh, sir. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're safer in that way. I, now, look, well, I am Martin. I like I like cornball. <laughs> bad music and like box that. kites and box kites actually i do not like box kites regular kites for me 
Uh, up, up, and away would later be sung by Homer, but about motorboats That's in right. season nine's Lisa the Skeptic. My beautiful motorboat. motorboat. He was a real jerk ass in that scene there, I would say. You get random shots of Bob throughout that, and so it's a mini mystery about where he is. I still couldn't hear it, but in they say he's whistling We'll Meet Again, the end theme to Doctor Strange. Oh, he is. I, I just can't tune it. I, I'm being I, I had trouble hearing it in his song. And I mean that's one of my favorite endings of all time. I love that ending so much that when I did the last regular episode of Cape Crisis, my old comic book podcast. I ended on just the full will meet again. It's, it's the biggest so like gut punch of an ending that it's leaves so you like beautiful. laughing at this the horrible yeah. destruction of everything. The world is over. There's a mind fear I can walk. Bam! Cut yeah. to the song. Yes, <laughs> Doctor Strange Love is such a watchable movie in general. It's my favorite. I think it's actually it's my really, favorite. Kubrick. I think it might be my favorite Kubrick film just in general. You get a lot out of it by rewatching mm. it. I'll say that. Like yeah. every time I rewatch, it, I'm like, oh man, like I didn't realize this part or that part. Like I. The first time I watched it, I didn't know Peter Sellers was playing three people. Yeah, I did not know he was. Was well, it three people? Yeah, it was three. Yeah, he he was he was the president. He was Strange Love, and he was the guy with the French, the officer? British oh, officer yeah. who was oh. staying, uh, who was at the compound where they had launched it. And yeah, it's just an amazing the, film. The movie oh. works because it's satirical. It has a mm. lot of darkly comic movements, but it's also serious. There is oh, drama yeah. going on. People are sweating out. The world the is ending. The world is going to end. Such. A broad comic yeah. line but i love the gentlemen gentlemen this is a war room and they're yes. fighting i love uh you'll, get a, you'll see the big map <laughs> <laughs> or, I, yeah i mean also like i love how cynical it is ultimately the message is we are all monkeys and we should not have access to these kind of yeah. things we are all too yes. stupid and self-involved to do things well with these weapons yeah and even as the end of the world is coming like they're like, well, we, we got to set aside a bomb of our own. The nukes, uh, in a hundred years, the Russians will have them. <laughs> and, uh, sir, we cannot allow a mine shaft gap. Uh, it's just beautiful. It's- yeah, George T. Scott, like, one of the best performances Poor in a George movie. George T. Scott's yeah. like, he was going completely over the top thinking that he was just, you know, it was this just the one for fun. Separate takes. Silly, yeah. And he's like, I'm going to use it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and... It was funny in 63 to see, like, watch it in 63 after just experiencing the Cuban Missile Crisis. Like, what is that even like? I I first saw it, uh, I believe, in, like, 2000. I saw it on a plane in 2015. Wow, man. Well, now nuclear fears are back and alive again. I, I watched it in the mid-2000s, like, well, no one's going to nuke us. I can fear terrorism, but no one's going to nuke us. Now, you know. Yeah. I also love that they had slim pickings, and they were just like, just do your thing, whatever. Yeah. Like, he thought it was a serious war movie. He's like, now it's time to blow up the Ruskies. Everybody's going to see it. Released just two months after JFK was shot. Yes. Wow. Well, yeah. they changed the ending for the That's better. Right. JFK's death actually improved the movie because if you see in the beginning, now it's the talking strange love. But if you see early on when they enter the war room, there's a big spread of food uh, like to, to eat there, including a bunch of pies. And it would end in a giant pie fight in the war room. That's right. I think there, there's like there's, footage of that that exists, right? Yeah. So there is a line, though. The president is hit with a pie. And the joke is that the president has been assassinated by a pie. And they're like, no, shit. No, can't. <laughs> Can't do uh, this joke two months after the president is dead. Yeah. So, and that's why instead they end with "My fear, I can rock." That's so great. I, I much think I better. Do a good strange love impersonation, don't you guys? Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. I, I, did, I didn't even go for it. I, I'm fishing for compliments here, <laughs> but uh, I love this the is end. why he keeps me bringing me on the podcast <laughs> so I can compliment him. Thank you. What about my Yoda? Is my Yoda impression good? <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> I, 
the speaker shooting for Marge's hair too. That is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, blowing a perfect <laughs> hole in her head. <laughs> then we get a quick Need for Speed reference, which that is Top Gun. You know, also propaganda. Which I wonder. I wonder though too if Arlie Ermy, a Marine, was mad at playing an Air Force guy because mm. there's one thing I knew. I was friends. One of my best friends in high school went into the Navy. And that's when I found out about how every branch of the military does not like the other branch and want to talk about how they're the bestest. The thing he would talk about is how the Navy has more planes than the Air Force. Like, if you want to be a pilot, you join the Navy, not the Air Force. Makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. And so I I wonder if Ermie felt the same way as a Marine, a hardcore Marine, uh, how he felt playing an Air Force. Almost certainly. Yeah, I bet, I bet he was... I'm sure he was happy to take their money. I wonder, I would love to ask him, if, like, were you more mad to play an, a homosexual in a movie than you were an Air Force man? When did that happen? Arlie Yermy in Saving Silverman played a uh, gay guy. Saving well, that was, it was the joke at the end. So Saving Silverman starred Apple Pie dude Jason... Biggs. Biggs. For Biglia. Uh, he's, he is being tortured by a mean girlfriend who's mean and bad and a bad girlfriend. And that that is played by Amanda Pete is like Queen B word, and his two best friends are trying to save him from this evil girlfriend, and they recruit. Arlie Ermy, who was their gym teacher, to help them murder oh. her. And so they kidnap her and intend to murder her. Cool. And uh, then she plays... Uh, fortunately, that doesn't happen. And then she actually falls in love with Steve Zahn's character, and they mm. get together. And then meanwhile, she plays mind games with Jack Black to make him realize he's gay. And then Jack Black tells Arlie Ermy at the end, like, well, actually, I'm gay now. He's like, me too. Learned it in prison. Want to huh? get married? And then they get married. For a minute, so, I thought this was the You're the Man Now dog uh, movie. That's actually oh. Finding Forrester. It's another yeah. Jaren name movie. <laughs> a Jaren in someone's name. Uh, yeah. And alliterative, too. Saving Silverman, Finding, Finding Forrester. Forrester. Yeah. I don't know which I'd rather. I'd rather watch Saving About Silverman. About Chasing Amy. Uh, anyway. It's one, one of the many uh, failed uh, attempts to launch Jason Biggs into stardom. I mean, I know. there was that movie Loser. Oh, yeah. That's where the, uh, the song Dirtbag Teenage Dirtbag. Yeah. And Mira Sorvino's even. Yeah. Mina Suvari. Mina Suvari. You're fired, Henry. I, my brain is not. I'm sorry, guys. I gotta tell I'm you, really up Teenage here. Dirtbag is a really fun song to sing at karaoke. Really fun, but yeah. I feel dirty after singing it because it has the worst message ever. Just like, mm. I'm just a loser. But the girl I secretly like is actually as cool as me. And she's a dirtbag just like you and likes bad things. Also, her boyfriend brings a gun to school, which, like, that's not... Uh, they they kind of skip by it. Like, and he brings a gun to school. I, I prefer the the radio edit where he brings a record scratch to oh, school. Yeah, yeah. He brings it to school. That, that fixes it. I, I like that Bob's Rocky Like a Hurricane prediction comes true. They do indeed play the Scorpions Rocky Like a Hurricane. Which uh, which is better than Rocky like a Herman Kane. Stadium Rock, uh, sta- a Stadium Rock staple in the mid-90s. For sure. Like, that's made them millionaires. Just like a one-hit wonder band that just did a song about rocking you like a hurricane. It's like, well, we're set for life now. I associate all of these crappy Stadium Rock songs with local car dealerships. That they would play these over their like, ads for new cars. Especially like, uh, that any way you want it. Like, oh, yeah. Every commercial break, especially during The Simpsons, would start with that. So when it showed up on The Simpsons, I'm like, no, please. <laughs> Not the commercial oh wait a minute in the early 2000s it was uh who let the dogs out oh yes yeah Uh, then the mid-2000s it became american idiot that was in every trailer Uh, every comedy trailer was a guy would say something stupid like don't want to be an american idiot get it Uh, get it oh you know speaking of sporting events cat i know my when i go to sporting events i often let tyranno vision decide what i'm going to Mm. see do you uh, do you watch this play on the field or do you have to do you enjoy looking at the big screen what's is that jumbotron is that the real name jumbotron yeah Yeah. what 
Well, the one time that I actually had to watch the Tyrannovision, as it were, was when I was in marching band, and we went down to the sideline at a Vikings game. Whoa! We were right there, and it was pretty cool, but at the same time, I could not see anything that was happening on the other side of the field, so I had to literally look up and watch the game on the Jumbotron for the majority of it until the very, very end when the Vikings scored the winning touchdown. They were right in front of me. I was like, oh, yeah, and I'm jumping up and down. You can see me on the highlights. But (laughs) I had the exact opposite story where I was, uh, my mom is a nurse, and she got free uh, tickets uh, from a doctor who couldn't go to this basketball game. They were, like, literally right next to the play zone of the basketball sports arena. (laughs) And it was really fun because I'm like, I've never been this close to actual basketball players, but also and a nine-foot man could crush me at any moment, (laughs) and I'd be dead. I'd I'd explode. I mean, courtside seats are very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. How come I'm, Jack Nicholson isn't dead? I know. Well, he <laughs> Shaquille looks, O'Neal just went. Yeah, he looks like he's nearly there. That's true. Like, if you've seen photos of him in Laker games in the last year, you're like, whoa, wow, Jack. You just They're just wheeling him out there at this yeah. point. You, see, you need to push one basketball player on him to uh, end him. Or you know, one of my favorite thirty for thirties was about the courtside relationship between Spike Lee and Reggie Miller of just him, like Spike Lee yelling at Reggie Miller and then inspiring him to do better in a basketball game. <laughs> Win, he's, he's directing so basketball likely. players you know what i'm gonna do that guy's right that screaming lunatic's right i think i am gonna get better <laughs> i should score right. points let's do it <laughs> can you believe that kobe bryant is an oscar winner now no you didn't see the oscars then no i know that he's an oscar winner but what did he win it for uh, him and animation legend glenn Keane did a short uh, film a short cartoon which was a tribute to basketball i didn't know kobe bryant made it until the nominees <laughs> came up and it was like Kobe Bryant and Glenn Keane. I was like, what? And then in a yeah. minute, it's like, nah, Oscar winner, Kobe Bryant. And he just walks down there with Glenn Keane, the man who animated Ariel the Mermaid's hair so beautifully. Bob makes his threats known. Hello, Springfield. Sorry to divert your attention from all the big noises and shiny things, mm-hmm. but something's been troubling me lately. Television. Wouldn't our lives be so much richer if television were done away with? What? (laughs) Surely he's not talking about VH1. Uh Why, we could revive the lost arts of conversation and scrimshaw. Thus, I submit to you, we abolish television permanently. Go back to Massachusetts, Pico! (laughs) Oh, and one more thing. I've stolen a nuclear weapon. If you do not rid this city of television within two hours, I will detonate it. Farewell. By the way, I'm aware of the irony of appearing on TV in order to decry it, so don't bother pointing that out. <laughs> I love that line. I think of that line all the time when you criticize something about like the government or about like inequality, and then someone will be like, "You posted that with your iPhone." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you, you yeah, can't. You, you protest a fashion. You're, you're on a fascist state. You're allowed to protest, mm-hmm. idiot. I'm sure they were thinking of the pedantic nerds on Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, news yeah. groups. Yeah, or the pedantic nerds that the you know, like the writers are too. They're just yes. like, you know what? You're, I know you're going to say this, so shut up. How can you criticize society and also exist in it at the same time? <laughs> you just can't. Better not criticize it, or you. Better build an entire society on your own that's perfect before you can <laughs> criticize any other society. I, I recommend all of our viewers to pause on Mo going, What? Because it it's is the beautiful. ugliest Mo. Sorry, Cat. It's only like three frames. And by the way, Homer really loves really hates Massachusetts. Yeah, you know yeah. that Massachusetts line. That's that was how it used to be, but I think now it's San Francisco. I do. I think that it's like go back to San Francisco, commie. Like uh, Massachusetts, pretty dang liberal still. It is. It I think is, like yeah. maybe yeah. Uh, 
it's weird because we're more of a libertopian uh, community mm. now than liberal. Well, I, I like just saw this yesterday because I tweeted out this story uh, about how it is six times more expensive to rent a U-Haul to leave San Francisco than it is to rent one to come to San Francisco. It's just like the radioactive episode. There's a leaving town tax. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's, that's because so many people are leaving San Francisco, apparently. Mm. And I saw one woman who was like, look, you're a nice old lady on Twitter. I shouldn't say a mean reply to you, but I will say it here anonymously. Yes. Is that uh, her reply was just like, this is what happens in socialist San Francisco with all your illegals running around and your gays. I was like, all right this is this is what the pinko go back to massachusetts line is now yeah especially san francisco is known as like it's getting known with the fox news folks as the sanctuary city where illegal immigrants murder you every day that's that's what it is well meanwhile we live in berkeley where antifa murders us every day it's really hard I will say, like, we all have worked in games or do work in games. And I, I was murdered actually, three times on the way over here. <laughs> I know. I can't believe you bounced back at But <laughs> having worked in games, uh, when people don't like what you say, they will say, oh, you're just an out-of-touch Bay Area elitist. It's just mm-hmm. like, you know how much games journalists are paid? They all live yeah. with, like, nine roommates. <laughs> I they are correct. I am an out-of-touch Bay Area elitist. You're swirling brandy in your penthouse, being <laughs> like, the Witcher is not liberal enough. <laughs> I gotta say, like, all those people leaving San Francisco, see ya. It's gonna, yeah, let, it's gonna lower housing costs. It's great. Hope yeah. it lowers the cost of sandwiches <laughs> i know man even at the ikes is great but it's a 16 dollar sandwich man but then when we go to the ones in san francisco like we had a 20 dollar sandwich it was a good sandwich but 20 dollars we ate 80 dollar pizzas this is local humor all right uh, i i love that uh, dr hibbert enjoys vh1 that's that's very they making fun of vh1 oh, before yeah, yeah. well i mean they're making fun of it here too oh hibbert was i don't know I, I remember the simpsons making fun of vh1 but maybe i was thinking yeah. of comedy central vh1 is a joke like, they made fun of comedy central but uh when the in the cable stealing episode homer is pointing out like you know the kids will get v, uh, mtv and we'll get vh1, VH1 and, like, for us at this time vh1 was like the least offensive program it was like easy listening like mm-hmm. or soft rock soon it will be behind the music and yeah now i don't know what it is it's I, like I'm, reruns of Knight Rider and game shows. I don't know. Whatever's on TV, which I don't think anybody watches anymore. Yeah, somebody's watching it, but not me, baby. My parents. Yeah, yeah, I guess my mom still... Whenever I go... Man, I tell you, having to watch the screen smoothing tech every Mm. time I go home, I'm just like... Please, I, I I never want to. I fixed it once, and then it just went back to screen smoothing. So I was like, <laughs> "Fine, enjoy your screen smoothing hellhole." I Bay love, Area elitist. <laughs> I love the animation on the hysteria of the bomb too, like the way Lisa's yelling, like, but "My mom, you're stepping on my shoes!" Like, we'll always get new shoes. I mean, I would be like that, too, if somebody said, Mm. I don't know, it's weird. I have a lot of bad dreams about nukes going off and that kind of thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's just, it's a recurring nightmare, I suppose. And I suppose that if somebody told me, there's a nuclear bomb going off in two hours right where I am, I would Mm. be like, bye. Mm -hmm. I am out of here. I would leave everything, I suppose. I don't need new shoes. You get new shoes. Well, I mean, if you're going to, but just assume you're going to be in a Mad Max. If you survive, you're in a Mad Max-style hellscape. You're going to wish you had shoes then. You'll need those shoes, if not to eat, you know. I think the living would envy the dead. Uh, I agree. (laughs) I love that line. So then we we head down to the bunker, which... I got to say, the, the cutaway earth thing of just like, it's a bunker with food in it, it's not my favorite joke. It's just like, I don't know, they could have come up with a funnier thing. There's not a great, like, what's happening in the earth joke. I th- exactly. What is it? Just like graves? It's a, or, no, or, no, like, it's a coffins? bunker full of food. Oh, like, that's, that's the joke. It, yeah, yeah, that is the great joke. Not, 
I guess the joke is like it was never used because I guess there was yeah, never a scare. Spoiled? If, if we can rewind just a bit, mm-hmm. the pimply faced teen telling everybody to stamp there. Oh, yes. yeah. That was yeah. totally my dad. Oh, yeah. My dad uh, was in the Air Force. He was an MP. He would have been the person uh, giving the tickets to the people who were taking the How many the medals did he get for that, Ken? <laughs> At least two. <laughs> uh, so, yes, then we head down to the war room, which is exactly strange love and then we get a full metal jacket actor in a doctor strange love scene <laughs> talking about everybody's favorite cat our city will not negotiate with terrorists is there a city nearby that will no need sir we'll find that head case faster than garfield finds lasagna oh i'm sorry my my wife thought that was gangbusters <laughs> The phrase gangbusters, in case you want to know, is yeah, uh, a reference to an old radio show ah. uh, that was extremely popular when it was on. And the, the expression was, this will go over like gangbusters. Like, this will be very popular. Oh, successful. it'll be as yeah. popular. It's it's the hot cakes of the radio. Exactly. Oh, I see. It replaced hot cakes. I don't know what the new <laughs> thing is. Uh, fidget spinners? Or it'll it'll spin like fidget spinners. I was a big uh, Garfield fan. So just hearing uh, <laughs> Garfield ever brought up when I was 13, I was like, yeah, Garfield. He's, he's got catitude. And they weren't making fun of him. No, I I guess the joke is that why would anybody bring up Garfield? Why would a tough military man who famously in Full Metal Jacket says you look like you could suck a golf ball through a vacuum cleaner <laughs> would then instead say Garfield? Yeah, Garfield. It is great. They're replacing all of his like surly, salty language with like these yeah. bizarre expressions. And this is the first time I ever noticed that Frank is strange love in the scene. He has no lines. Yeah, but I was drawn as strange love. I've seen this like fifty times. I was waiting for Frank to have a strange love line. Still, yeah. like. Oh, right. It's like he's kind of wasted. What if it was Jerry Lewis playing Doctor Strangelove? Those scenes. Ooh. That seems that that is like a hat on a hat on a hat. I wouldn't like the movie. <laughs> I was I was bothered that of all the last people they could do on the Oscar in memoriam, they ended with Jerry Lewis. I was like, come on. They snubbed know. a lot of people, but they oh, always yeah. do. Uh, they always do. I mean, uh, then we get some quick cutaways of searching the place. We get to see that uh, Abe apparently went into the toilet in right. what he thought like, was the elevator. Second joke this season of him thinking a thing is a toilet or is yeah, not a toilet. So the tool shed was a toilet, but the <laughs> yeah. toilet was an elevator. Yeah, he has like toilet uh, blindness, I'd say. And I want to say he made the awful mess because he seems awfully <laughs> sheepish about it. Oh, yeah. That he was fine to, to shit in the bottom of an elevator. <laughs> and uh, then this the, is where the Shrek joke thing starts coming in. We're yeah. like, uh, let's we we need a gag right here. Uh, Grandpa gets stuck in the in the in the outhouse. Okay. I, I do enjoy the the odd Grandpa cutaway though. <laughs> and, That's true. Someone made an awful mess. <laughs> and the alien with the probe also feels very much like <laughs> very it's Shrek like, joke. Very Shrek, or yes. it was making me think of Family Guy as well. Not a bad joke. Though. And that alien was in Hangar 18, a reference to the Wright Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, where people think alien shit is being stored. Whoa, so I didn't know that. For the one second you see the name of the hangar, they picked the right wow, name of a hangar. I love that. Pretty I, obvious joke, though. Oh, oh, the yeah. alien probe joke in the mid-90s. Okay. Yes, a probe. Yes. Yeah. There is a great Kids in the Hall sketch about that, where they find out <laughs> one in ten people like it. Yeah. All we've learned is that one in ten people like it. I I love that joke. Maybe we do something other than randomly probe people. <laughs> then we get Barton and Lisa's interactions on the base as the last uh, non-personnel there, and they basically become the Hardy Boys at that point, which yeah. I really like. It's just like time to solve mysteries together, when it's really... 
Bart hanging around as Lisa well, solves At this mysteries. point, they've solved enough mysteries that they just know yeah. how it goes. Lisa yeah. does all the work, and Bart's there for comic relief. We're pretty close to Marge even pointing out, like, you foiled Sideshow Bob a lot of times. You're pretty smart kids. <laughs> then we get this next scene with uh, some adult magazines, which I gotta say, freeze-framing out. I'm like, these artists really enjoyed drawing this... Uh, yeah. Porno, porno, porno. <laughs> Bob is not here. We have searched every square inch of this base, and all we have found is porno, porno, porno! We have only 20 minutes left. Send in the esteemed representatives of television. Hey, hey! Now this is my kind of meeting! Gentlemen, it's time we face up to the unface-up-toable. We must sacrifice television in order to save the lives of our townspeople. Whoa! Whoa! Ho, ho! Let's not go nuts! Would it really be worth living in a world without television? I think the survivors would envy the dead. Uh-huh. Krusty is the consummate showman. It's it's beautiful. So let's explain that one scene first. There, That was specifically Buck Turgidson acting there on Krusty, like straight out of Dr. Strangelove. This is the scene in particular, which is one of my favorite comedy scenes like ever. We are rapidly approaching a moment of truth, both for ourselves as human beings and for the life of our nation. Now, truth is not always a pleasant thing. But it is necessary now to make a choice, to choose between two admittedly regrettable, but nevertheless distinguishable post-war environments. One where you got 20 million people killed, and the other where you got 150 million people killed. You're talking about mass murder, General, not war. Mr. President, I'm not saying we wouldn't get our hair must, <laughs> but I do say no more than 10 to 20 million killed, tops, uh, depending on the breaks. <laughs> And he's like slapping his hand on the table too, like Krusty, right? Slapping his hand on the table. Same with like Krusty also steeples his fingers together on top of the table too in the same stance. Uh, Though when he says the living would envy the dead, it's actually the president who says that at the end of Strange. Oh, you're right. Not not Turgidson. Well, in any case, I'm glad we did not see the cover of Granny Fanny, which has yeah. a very different interpretation in the UK. I know that. I wonder if that joke is like gets an extra laugh in the UK, gets censored. I don't know. It's much filthier. Yes. As for the survivors envying the dead, I believe that is a quote that would be att- attributed to Nikita Khrushchev, actually. Oh, really? Man. Yes. I was just looking it up. It was Nikita Khrushchev. I think on Futurama, that line was used to explain what it's like to be a head in a jar. (laughs) (laughs) I envy the dead. I envy the dead. And uh, uh, it's appropriate, though, given that this is a Cold War paranoia type thing. Oh, totally. Yeah. I had missed that there was a Doctor Who reference in this show. As I I noticed it for the first time. Yep. Because obviously I did not watch Doctor Who in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, oh, Fourth Doctor. And then I thought, you know, I bet more people now would recognize the Fourth Doctor than Urkel. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, that was a very, uh, it's kind of like not a great Urkel caricature. No. Mm-hmm. It's like Urkel if he was 10 years older. Yeah. But, but put on weight instead of getting buff. Like, this uh, is, Yeah. This is the time of the show where he was like, like Carrot Top, I go out in public and I'm Urkel and everyone shits on me. I'm going to get strong. Mm-hmm. And then strong. Urkel's also strong on the show. Yes. Which is weird i think that's why you play different characters like this this strong urkel is weird we need to make him bruce lee or something like that <laughs> oscar winner jordan peele did one of the greatest it with key, oh yes. key, one of the greatest explanations of what's wrong with family matters and that steve urkel took over every episode my favorite was the description of an episode where 
everybody turns invisible except for Steven. And then my voice, I get zapped with a ray that turns my voice into Steve Urkel's voice. <laughs> the comic artist, uh, Casey Green, was live oh, watching yeah. a lot of late Family Matters, like CBS era Family Matters. And they were insane. Like, they're on a pirate ship? I yeah. don't know why. It is just Carl and Steve. Uh, they invent time travel. They invent teleportation. They can do anything in late Family Matters. So they decide that they're going to give up television and everybody signs off. And as my final newscast draws to a close, I'm reminded of a few of the events that brought me closer to you. The collapse of the Soviet Union. Premium ice cream price wars. Dogs that were mistakenly issued major credit cards. And others who weren't so lucky. <laughs> and so, farewell. Uh, and, uh... Don't forget to look for my new column in PC World magazine. Muchas gracias, amigos, por todas las memorias. Y super gracias a Goya. Success! They're giving in. Blast! I should have made more demands. Some decent local marmalade for one. Oh, well, next time. Ah! Now my extendo glove! Oh, they haven't made those since the war. Not Oh, not my Paris backdrop. How am I going to make fun of the frogs? <laughs> That's great. Dogs who were mistakenly ordered uh, credit cards would be a, a next season idea. I know. That was them brainstorming it live. That would turn into season eight's canine mutiny when Santos L. Halper would get his own credit card. And PC World was a real magazine. I'm, was, I mean, we've got a... Well, you didn't work for PC World, but you, Kat, but you did work in the yes, same building as them, I worked right? in the same building, the floor below them. Oh, yes. you're right. Okay, so they were part of the GamePro It was dynasty. because of PC World that GamePro died. IDG, yes. One had to be sacrificed for the other. They had no, to pay it Kat, wasn't right? that. Some stupid consultant came in and basically oh, said... You know, you know what you should do is you should close the video game magazine and put all the money toward PC World and uh, Mac World. Wow. And then, and then uh, it turned out that they actually shut down their best performing property. And that bought them a, like two years, right? Since yeah. 2013 is when they shut down. That consultant was fired. Those fucking <laughs> consultants, man. They're the worst. <laughs> Paid millions of dollars to fuck up everything. And when they shut us down, we had had our tri- highest traffic number in like several years. Yeah. Wow, man. Well, they really made a good move there. Good times. Uh, uh, PC World stopped being a magazine in 2013. Still is a website, which... I believe even all the GamePro uh, web pages just go to PC World now. Like they are, re- there's not even a GamePro.com anymore. Uh, no, no uh, GamePro yeah. is long gone, and so is all of my articles written over the course of that year. I love when they do that. Thanks, Ziff Davis. Yeah. It's always up too. Nice. Yeah. yeah, Ziff Davis, IDG, Future US. They they're all wonderful publishers. And uh, but PC World. Well, also, <laughs> who remembers PC World? Everybody remembers the rating system in GamePro and all the crazy names. Nobody remembers PC. It was World. one of like. I swear, like 50 PC magazines, all very generic looking, mm-hmm. that would be in like the computer section at Barnes & Noble. Yeah, I, well, the writers of the show were very into PC World because they were making jokes about, uh, they were collecting the photographs of uh, large-bodied <laughs> PC magazine writers. Something with computers. computers. Yes, and also Goya, I gotta say, I buy Goya. a lot of Goya merchandise, I sorry, Goya food products, and mm-hmm. I always think of this scene when I'm grabbing the can didn't i feed some goya beans to your birdie you once? did yeah, yeah. Uh, louis gets nothing but the best of goya mm. years later kemp brockman would i believe go applying for a job at a blogging like type thing oh, like really? a buzzfeed type office wow. and it's so weird because kemp brockman has that late 80s newsman look to his design mm. and he's standing in a very mid 2010s kind of buzzfeed type office mm. and it makes you realize how long the simpsons had been on the air at that point well according to the yeah. last episode 
episode, he was a broadcaster in 1969, so he's wow. been around the block a few times. Yeah, when he was Kenny Brocklestein. Uh, and we get to see that much like Marge's hair, Homer's hands are easily fixable. In between scenes, he had torn them to ribbons, like, very badly. I love it when Homer's trying to help. Yeah, yeah. it was a great visual joke. You pan down from the barbed wire to Marge bandaging his hands. It's like, it just tells the story. <laughs> that is yes. a great game. Yeah. That is a good game. Uh, did your parents ever tell you the we- put, be sure to wear clean underwear? You don't want to be, like, hit by a car and not be wearing your clean underwear? No. Things like that. I think they were just telling me that for groinal health. Yes, yeah. I, I, I don't think I ever got the... I feel like if I ever was told to put on clean underwear, my mom did it in an ironic way of, like, well, moms in the 50s would say this, so I'll say this. And then South Park taught us you shit your pants when you die, so it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, you're going to mess up your underwear all the same if you get hit by a car, mom. Another. This struck me as another time-filling joke where they were mm. just like, oh, God, we need, we need, another, we need another gag. <laughs> uh, Marge is fretting about clean underwear. I don't I, know. I love the line, unfurnished basement. It's yes. so much better than going commando. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, Are you an easy? I, I wish that was the term, unfurnished. I thought wished every time somebody says, I'm going commando today, they mean unfurnished basement in this next line here i always heard it as calvinator not kelvinator you don't know what a kelvinator is come no, on i never my family never ha- owned one well that's because they they existed in the 1920s okay i read a lot of old books so <laughs> you know what really frosts my calvinator that fruit cup's probably still laughing at us from his damn hidey hole i'd rather take an order from bill clinton than hear that guy's <laughs> snooty high-toned voice again sir high-toned voice part that's it. I know where Sideshow Bob is hiding. When Bob broadcast that message, his voice was higher than normal. And what makes your voice high? Tight blinding underwear. Uh. Helium! Sideshow Bob is in a duff blimp! Bart is still against underwear, even in this moment. <laughs> Tight binding like, underwear? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Kelvinator thing, it's like, it was one of the, it was, I think it was the first automatic electric uh, refrigerators. Mm. Uh, before you would have an ice box that would have a giant block of ice that would be delivered to you after men did an Antarctic expedition to get it to you. <laughs> yes. When I think of ice deliveries, I think of singing bird characters in old Looney Tunes. Mm, that's, that's right. I just think of ice delivery man from the Looney Tunes of the 30s. But I think if the Kelvinator had been the dominant brand, uh, that's what we would call a refrigerator. Like, you know, you mm. call a, a Xerox machine and a Band-Aid and a Kleenex and We love Jell-O. our brands yeah. in America. We really do. Uh, so, Kat, uh, I didn't know until this recording that you were the child of a military man. Mm. Uh, is So this joke about taking an order from Bill Clinton, is it a joke? I'm curious if it is a joke about just that people in the military usually swing more right than left and no, wouldn't want I to mean, take... Bill Clinton was a draft dodger. Oh, okay. And it was well known yeah. that among the military for that reason and this was back when being a draft dodger was a definingly a definite bad thing mm-hmm. and this was before george w bush and donald trump we have we've had a lot of draft it was before dodgers republicans were draft dodgers it, but, uh, i mean uh, i don't understand why would you not want to go to vietnam it seems awesome <laughs> i would totally sign up if but, it was still you know happening. bill clinton was notably not pro-military yeah. and he was in the process of shutting down all the bases at this time mm-hmm. so of course the military hated his guts because he was unlike Ronald Reagan pouring all of the money into the military. That's what, that's what Ronald Reagan had been doing. So that's why the military hated him. Yeah. It was so silly of him to try to pay a few trillion dollars less. I mean, Reagan had a, had a cold war to feed the military industrial complex. Clinton did not have that. Well, I don't want to go too deep into this, but I mean, Bill Clinton comes in right after the cold war ends. Mm. Soviet war union had just collapsed and he was like, Oh, we don't need all these bases anymore. I mean, we can start shutting, we can start scaling it back. This is Mm. great. Russia's our friend now. Um, 
The, the military didn't like that so much. I mean, you are costing people their jobs, I suppose. Oh, of course. Too, I yes, mean, yeah. and, and as we've seen in the military industrial complex, like town, whole towns will be devoted to producing things for tanks. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the congressmen will be like, oh, well, we need to take care of this town. And so I'm just going to make sure that they get the spending bill. And mm-hmm. it, it's all one the, big circle. I mean, if the congressman wants to stay elected, he needs to keep businesses exactly. in the town. And that includes the yeah, military. He's serving his constituents. Also, but- also Bill Clinton was... Uh, the don't ask don't tell guy as well he's yes. not about get, purging he homosexuals sh- as he much. showed up in washington dc and the first thing he does is go to the military and say so i'm going to end the ban on gays in the military and the military is like no you're not mm-hmm. and he was like oh god okay <laughs> and bill clinton apparently was just never very comfortable being around the military like he just uh, and it was reflected in uh, the west wing uh with president bartlett like that, uh, that was yeah. a big plot point was president bartlett is as a professor from the northeast is like i don't know what to do with these military guys okay that was bill clinton i like that bob's ability to get rid of helium he can chase off helium from his voice just like, wave it away show. it would have been really annoying if he was stuck in that helium voice whenever he was in the blimp i know they really only do it for like four uh, like 20 words maybe tops just for yeah, the you clue. know plot purposes and the crusty even in the face of nuclear annihilation cannot stop entertaining all springfield trembles before the might of sideshow bob <laughs> blasted helium shoo 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 ha <laughs> that's better great delivery gone, gone too fabulous marvelous this is the emergency broadcast system. Stand by for an urgent bulletin. Hey, hey! <laughs> Krusty the Clown is back on the air! Eight, no, no, twelve hours a day! The only <laughs> game in town! Krusty? But how? Coming at you live from the Civil Defense Shack in the remote alkali flats of the Springfield Badlands. <laughs> I'll be beaming out 11 watts of wackiness hour after hour of unscripted, unrehearsed comedy. Featuring, uh, you know, uh, Professor Gascan <laughs> and uh, former President Ike Eisenhower. Let's get busy. Beautiful. It just shows you the last time that thing was used. Yes. The most recent president in, in there is uh, Ike Eisenhower. And that the Krusty has to say where it is so Bob can go there later. Yeah. Going back to the helium voice thing, it reminded me of the movie Up, which I, yeah. I liked to a point. When the evil dog character is revealed, it's revealed that he speaks with a high voice because his like little voice box is messed up. But then they keep it like that for the entire movie. I'm like, I don't want to hear him talk like this anymore. It's annoying. <laughs> it's like it was funny for one joke, but they just kept it for the entire movie. The joke happened. Set it back. Up is yeah. a great 10 minute short. Oh, uh, yeah. I also like that uh, Krusty's impersonation of Ike is Arsenio Hall. Let's <laughs> That's get right. Busy. Let's get busy. And and what Krusty is basically doing is a webcam YouTube show. That's that's uh, what no, he's that's right. totally true. Circa yeah. mid 1995. Krusty is vlogging now. It is. He has just one stationary camera, and he's just like, I like this stuff. If for 2018, he'd have a Patreon. Uh, He would. Uh, Krusty can't get in our Patreon money there. The first tier is the Stingy and Battery show. (laughs) Uh, So Bob has seen that even this couldn't stop it, and he's ready to nuke the whole town. Oh, my utopia lies in ruins. How naive of me to think a mere atom bomb could fell the chattering cyclops. Well, at least I'll have my revenge. Bob, no! Don't you see? That would be taking the easy way out. I agree. 
great act break you end the act with seemingly the nuclear destruction of all of springfield that was in the commercial too him yeah. the whole i agree scene and it's like what the fuck is this episode even about yeah like, what's gonna happen go? now? Well, tel- this is where they start like making fun of television cliches right mm. because i mean From saying that, w- that would be taking that would be taking the easy way out yes yes they're, they're yeah. kind of subverting it a little bit i i love that there, there's a scene like that in a later batman the animated series show where catwoman is holding some guy uh, uh preventing a, a real bad guy from falling to his death and she's about to let him go and then batgirl says to her like no you'll be just as bad as him if you do that and she's like oh grow up and drops the guy <laughs> the guy ends up surviving though so they, they get to have their cake and eat it too but yeah that's such that's such a great moment like it'd be the easy way out i agree boom just like done. He's not there to debate. He's there to blow shit up. And the next, but I like that though. It's yeah, good. it is great. Bob was ready to die. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Oh, no, well, he was like, I failed. Yeah. Krusty Claus. Krusty is never going away. This guy's going to haunt me forever, even though I have a nuke. Screw mm. this. Y'all going to die now. <laughs> and it's a very Kubricky sound going on underneath there when he's about to press the button. The kind yeah. of like string uh, pulley. Pizzicato strings. Oh, okay. Pizzicato. Uh, so the next act opens with a reference to two things. The first thing with the zooming in and all the people and freezing, that's from the end of Failsafe when uh, Henry Fonda nukes New York or whatever as oh. like something he has to do oh, to save yeah. the rest of that's the world. That's the end of that movie yes. because they blow up Russia and he has to be like, well, we'll nuke ourselves if you won't nuke everything else. Yeah. And, and that's how the movie ends. Yes. Yeah. There's there's a line about you'll hear a phone melting on the other end because it blows up. Mm-hmm. And then they do that. That was a joke then on an episode of C-Lab for a reference I don't think any oh. kid watching c-lab got you're right about that but in that case a telephone did spontaneously combust and people thought it was a nuke so are we going to talk about failsafe yes yes (laughs) i thought we already did i don't think there's much i don't think there's much else to add except that it's the less good strange love i think believe uh released in the same year based on a very similar book Mm. i believe the book was red alerts yes yeah yeah, I mean, I, I described the, the whole plot to a friend of mine on the train ride over here, where it was basically like, yes, uh, planes, uh, bombers accidentally get scrambled uh, to fly over and bomb Russia, and they can't recall them because of all of the different fail-safes that are involved, mm. and eventually the Russians make a deal with the Americans where they will nuke New York to prevent nuclear holocaust and my friend looked at me and said, that's a ridiculous premise, and I was like, yeah, you're right, I think that if that actually happened... America would basically go, eh, screw this. Yeah, Guess launch you. everything. Guess we'll blow up everything that isn't American. We would never nuke America on purpose. Actually, I know we will, we will get corrections about this. So Failsafe is based on the book Failsafe. I believe Strange Love was based on the book Red Alerts, yes. which was a serious book that but turned into a comedy. But there was a lawsuit yes. involved where that was settled out of court. So. Uh-huh. And yeah. I will say that I have seen this movie, and I'm sure it's fine, but it cannot exist in the same world as Dr. Strangelove. It's just so boring. <laughs> well, it's very serious. There's yeah. no music. It's black and white. You're right. There is no music. It's just like like men sweating in black and white. Very portentous. I haven't seen the entire film. I only on TV saw the last 15 minutes, and that was riveting. Of Wow, Henry Fonda it's talking about blowing up New York. Like, that's the big twist. It's uh, so, so, yeah, the zoom in on all the explosions, that's that's from Failsafe. But if Maggie... Yes, that is a reference to the um, Lyndon Baines Johnson candidate ad, sorry, campaign ad against Barry Goldwater in 1964. This is uh, an ad we've all seen before, probably on like the History Channel or PBS or whatever, but it's still like extremely shocking today because of the underlying message. So you won't see the visual ad, but it is a little girl picking flowers, much like Maggie's picking flowers. One, two, three, four, five, 
seven, oh. six, six, eight, nine, nine, eight, nine, eight, seven, six, Zooming in five, on her face. To make a world in which all of God's children can live or to go into the dark, we must either love each other or we must die. Vote for President Johnson (laughs) on November 3rd. This is like 10 years after I like Ike, you like Ike. Damn. I I love, it's it's so like, I mean, it only aired once. I can imagine the hysteria that happened after this ad. It was like a baseball bat over the head. Yeah. (laughs) But I love just like a very kind of artful like commercial. And then it ends with an an old Southern man screaming at you like, my opponent's going to kill everybody, including that little girl (laughs) who couldn't count. (laughs) This is Barry Goldwater. This was when he was running, I believe, in 1964. He was a bad dude. And Barry Goldwater was, you know, the intense, crazy conservative for mm-hmm. 1964, and then Ronald Reagan ended up reviving that brand of conservative. Uh, yeah, they, they, they were like, well, look, you can't just say the racial slurs, guys. You got to get color. And now words Barry for Goldwater him. is a hero of the right, but oh, at oh, the boy. time, he is was he... considered crazy. Oh, God. What was it? Extremism and the defense of liberty is no vice, is mm. his line. Mm. So. He's a guy. Well, thank goodness for that. But um, <laughs> God damn, hearing LBJ there, it's like, man, man, man. It's, hey, that, LBJ that's was not a great guy either. Oh, no, no, no. no. He personally a very racist, awful man. But, I mean, he did sign Flat into character for sure. Civil Rights Act. He did sign that and I, yeah. gave up all of the South for then on for the Democrats. I enjoy listening to those tapes where he's talking about his testicles yep. inside of his uh, dockers. <laughs> he would. Hey, he's things are like, riding up on me. Needs some bigger pants. Yeah, he's just talking about his balls. <laughs> he was a very, uh, like, body president. Uh, he yeah. was also the kind of guy who would say, he would call us a congressman from his fo- car phone and say, I just got a phone introduced into my, uh, installed in my car. And then when the congressman would get a phone installed in their car and call him he would be like oh hold on a moment i gotta go take a call on my other car phone <laughs> guess where i'm calling you from <laughs> you'll never guess uh, i mean he was never supposed to be president no. <laughs> but uh so yes everyone's dead in springfield or are they best before november 1959 damn it Bob. there were plenty of brand new bombs but you had to go for that retro 50s charm isn't my arch nemesis Bart Simpson and his sister Lisa to whom I'm fairly indifferent. So crusty double crossed you, but your basic plan was pure genius. Where do you get your ideas? Oh, please. Let's not embarrass us both with that hoary old stall the villain with flattery scheme. I should have known you were too smart to fall for that. Really? What type of smart? Book smart? Because there are a lot of people who are book smart, but it takes a very special type of genius to... All right, Bob, it's over. Come out with your hands up. No! How did they find me? Yeah, stalling Bob with flattery worked in Cape Fear very yeah, well for Bart. And to be honest, it basically worked in a sideshow Bob, 
Roberts as well because yeah. I mean it wasn't flattery but the whole oh I mean you could never have come up with this kind of plan etc so I think they were kind of sending up the last two episodes and that's fine it's all about Bob's pride <laughs> when I like that Bob is very clear of like he's indifferent to Lisa which he should not be because Lisa's defeated him almost as many times as Bart at this point this I mean she next... totally took down his election scheme yeah and the next episode doesn't he say like especially Lisa but, but especially, especially Bart. Bart so Lisa's lumped in with the whole equation it's like both of these children yeah, she She's, she's moved up in his estimation at least but the i also think that lisa is very good like she is a knack at controlling the prompter on the on the blimp it's a very lisa thing how she has fun with it and adds mm. animations and like <laughs> thank the you heart 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 and the bomb is a dud yeah. oh and, not blowing up yeah. yeah and then oakley's favorite word the dud he oh loves that he'll be back <laughs> i believe nuclear bombs can in fact expire I would, I would bet they can't. Like any munitions in general can expire. I remember that in the Walking Dead comic book, they made it a point later on. They're like, "Well, we're not gonna, we're gonna run out of ammo. This shit goes bad eventually." Same with gasoline. Like, not gasoline doesn't stay good forever. As or at least if if. If the last man on earth is anything to go by, I, that comedy wouldn't lie to me. What <laughs> about gasoline? <laughs> They're all going scientifically bad? sound. Exactly. Uh, but I also just love how, the, how Bob twiddles the knife on his finger. Like, he book smart. Beautiful, it's great, like, little subtle acting. <laughs> but, and then it's also awesome animation of the balloon, uh, the blimp deflating on Lisa. And you can see her pointy <laughs> hair yeah. through it. This, her starfish hair. Her starfish hair that can pop other uh, volleyballs as well. <laughs> uh, we get a little gag about we got a war tomorrow. We got a war tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know where that would be, but uh, but then Bob can't really steal a Harrier jet, even when the idiot-proof military, but he did find another one. Hell, not the Wright Brothers plane. The Smithsonian's gonna have my ass on a platter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, boy! Daddy's coming to save you! Mom! I found Sideshow Bob's hideout and I got a secret message to the police that I had a blimp follow me and I was in an atomic blast, but I'm okay now! Well, I wrecked the gate, but you don't hear me bragging. I love Lisa's excitement over what happened. She's, like, kind of into it, even though she Bart is in trouble. Yeah. yeah, and She and, foiled another scheme. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, And uh, Homer has really bad luck with those severe tire damage spikes. I swear to God, I saw a million severe tire damage spike jokes before I ever saw severe tire damage spikes in my life. Yeah, it was a long time before. I just wasn't parking in places that had the spikes up, or at least that I noticed. But uh, they, I, and then when I see them, I just think about, like, <laughs> which is not in this one it's in the other time he's it was in homer loves flanders when he drives over to try to get in to call in for the tickets oh you're right okay then we get bob has a very this is the most burnsy he is in it i would say which kind of distracts me though i love the lines ah oh, for the days when aviation was a gentleman's pursuit back before every joe sweat sock could wedge himself behind a lunch tray and jet off to raleigh durham <laughs> <laughs> are you getting lots of bugs in your mouth too <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just the last episode that Burns was talking about taking something to Siam via autogyro. Yes, an aeromail. But just like with uh, bicycles, the pursuit of aviation was the, I don't know, the domain of rich weirdos. Like mm. rich elite weirdos who are like, I would build a flying machine, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, lo- I love his speech, but it is a very, like, especially Johnny Lunchpail, or Johnny Sweatsock instead of Johnny Lunchpail. Yeah. And... Uh, the, the also it's like what do you care about flight Bob though he, he 
really hates he has a dis- a- the South. Alabamians yeah, and Raleigh Durham. Raleigh Durham. Raleigh Durham, of all places. I mean, he did go to Yale, didn't he? Oh, uh, yeah. True. He, he should be a He's fancy a pants. huge elitist, Bob. Yeah. Bay Area elitist Bob, or Northeastern oh, elitist. <laughs> I, uh, also, during the chase scene, we get a very retro El Barto spray painted on in the oh, back. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Catch it there. I missed that. And finally, the backpack pays off by getting run over and exploded, which... I wish I wasn't a nerd to these jokes now because every freaking cartoon has done the joke of the thing, a thing falls over and explodes into flames when it obviously shouldn't. And that's happens a million times. The Simpsons have repeated it a million times. In a few episodes, there will be a, a desk exploding after it's knocked exactly. over. So, yes. I mean, it's it, they made it up. They came up with it. They I just to get the credit. I love the image of the the jet planes going in to intercept the right blooders plane. It's like, <laughs> its target is too slow. We have to get out, get out and walk. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. And the, and the sp- pool skimmers and tennis rackets yeah. trying to catch him. Yes. Uh, and, <laughs> and it's all coming to a head at Krusty's Funhouse. <laughs> it's and Scratchy can't be here today, but instead, we've got the next best thing. It's the Stingy and Battery Show. They bite and light and bite and light and bite. Bye, 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 yada, yada. You know what I'm talking about. Uh-oh. Oh, you kill Krusty. He made you what you are. Without him, you wouldn't even be called Sideshow. Uh-huh. 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 What the hell is that? A lawnmower? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> what is the freaking holdup? Die, Krusty! No. Krusty is very impatient about his imminent doom. Uh, it's, it's, what he, is the freaking holdup? His jump through the window is like action. That's a Bruce Willis S. Yeah. It's, it's very good. <laughs> they got a lot of mileage out of the Wright Brothers plane, I must say. They really did. And I also got to hand it to Krusty for... He got a live scorpion. He captured a live scorpion for his stingy and battery I'm show. I'm sure there were several living in that abandoned like public uh, <laughs> munitions thing or whatever it's, it's probably called. living behind the Ike Eisenhower picture. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, just like, you know, where it's like it. I think, too, you're going to they crashed just as Krusty was getting sick of doing it. Like Krusty loves to entertain, but he is also a very lazy entertainer. So I think like two hours in, he's like. What am I doing? I yeah. should have done He could this. never be a Twitch streamer. No way. And <laughs> later this season, Krusty, you will crash a plane. That's true. Oh, wow. Yeah, the uh, I'm on a roller game. That's right. Yes, yeah, not Sweet, the, I'm on a roller game, son. Uh, <laughs> there are free shitposts for you, Simpson shitposters hey, out there. Let me do it first. Oh, uh, well, hey, you've got, you've got time before this episode <laughs> posts, Bob. I'm working on it now. <laughs> Everything ends here. We get, honestly, I'm kind of mad they got him, they got Arlie Ermey to say, what's your major malfunction? Because it's just it's a little hack. They should have put know. a twist on it. Yeah. Like, what is I, your major disorder? Or like exactly. Something. I don't they, know. They I'm, yeah. normally have smarter spins on that. Like, say, they get Rodney Dangerfield, he's like, no regard, no yeah. regard at all, no esteem either. He does not say no respect. Maybe they learn from this. Gotcha! <laughs> yeah, TV hating mutant. Yeah. What is your major mouth function, Sideshow Bob? I'm so glad you're safe. Mom! You're embarrassing me in front of the army guys. How ironic. My crusade against television has come to an end so formulaic it could have spewed from the power book of the laziest Hollywood hack. <laughs> hey, everybody! I'm gonna holler at 
That's a series of gut punches. It's just uh, like hauling ass. Here we go again, and then bam, the fox music. And it also Bob pointing out that like this is poorly written. Yeah. This is a this is a very pat ending. Came out of a power book. And yet, I thought the second half of the show was stronger than the first. Mm, yeah, I, just I constant agree. tension and action. Well, yeah. Once it really gets going, uh, there are a lot of like pretty solid gags. Mm. I, I thought everything to do with the Wright brothers playing was frankly pretty hilarious the end of television and like um dropping satellite dishes onto people was that was great stuff too Mm -hmm. i don't know how long we've gone but i feel like this is much longer than normal but this episode is so packed full of things yeah there were a million things to explain like uh, but yes this was a longer one than normal but uh but people hate us complaining when it's long so hey i hope you enjoyed it we're just like crusty they want they want all the entertainment (laughs) 12 hours eight (laughs) no 12 hours of talking simpson (laughs) after revisiting it i like this more than i remembered but i would still say of the of the six original sideshow bob episodes this is my least favorite and it's coming off the heels of sideshow bob roberts which frankly is my favorite of them all so it's kind of it's kind of tough to follow up. I mean, it's still good. It's yeah. Still, yeah. I, I will say, like, uh, it's still a great episode. I would put it at the bottom of the Bob list, but it's still a very good list. Like, being at yeah. the bottom of that list is being at the bottom of a very good list of episodes. So. That's true. I think Oakley Weinstein didn't take as seriously their first Bob of their of their seasons. They gave it to a freelancer, even. They will not do Spike the Ferriston. <laughs> they, they will give the next one to top man of season eight, Ken Keeler. Oh, yeah. Ken Keeler writes that one uh, with Side So Cecil. God, I cannot wait for that one. It'll be here sooner than we Secretly think. Secretly a Frasier episode. Mm, yes. If only R.I.P. John Mahoney. If only um, he was in it. He will be back. He actually was cast as their dad in another episode. Oh, really? Okay, yep. cool. Awesome. I'm on board for that. So thanks for listening, folks. This has been Talking Simpsons. I've been your host, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo, of course. And my other podcast is Retronauts, a classic gaming podcast. We've been around since 2006. So please go to Retronauts.com and look for Retronauts in your podcast machine and find a topic that suits you. And I believe you'll like the show that is not a guarantee folks henry how about you well this is supported on patreon.com slash talking simpsons where for just five dollars a month you can get access to every episode a week early and ad free and there's a ton more stuff on there including some really cool exclusive interviews we did there with people who worked on the simpsons not to mention our new limited series talking futurama where we're going through the entire first season of futurama we did the same thing for every episode of the critic all 24 of them plus we just launched our newest podcast what a cartoon where we give the talking simpsons treatment to a different cartoon every week. Now we're going to throw this to Kat, our special guest. Thank you again, Kat, for coming. Bye. Yeah, check out my podcast, Acts of the Blood God. Uh, last week we did a, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but we did a tribute to Demon Souls, which recently mm. was taken offline. We had a couple of Demon Souls experts come in and we waxed poetic about that game. So Those that servers had fun. a good long run. Yes, and we're oh. just wrapping up our Cosmic Star Heroine Let's Play. Oh, so. awesome. Well, thanks again for coming, Kat. The listeners love you. You're, they're one of their favorites. I love you too, listeners. Aww. Aww. Well, thank you for listening, folks. We'll see you next week with the 138th episode Spectacular. See you then. Wow, infotainment.